everybody. Welcome to the Directors Club Podcast. I am Jim Laskowski. I'm Patrick Rapol. And we've got some awesome guests. Two, awesome. Two guests for this episode. Peter Subkinski with uh, eFilmCritic.com. Correct, Peter? Welcome. Yep. Hi-dee-ho. And we have Mr. Matt Gamble from Road3.com and Where the Long Tail Ends. Hey, man. Hello. Hi. Alrighty. So on this episode, it's uh, kind of a different format for us. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. We wanted to sort of do a point-counterpoint approach um, in regards to a very divisive filmmaker, uh, Mr. Brian De Palma. Yes. And uh, we have uh, Peter is a fan and Matt not so much. So we're going to hear both sides and, you know, we'll see what happens. <laughs> it's it's going to be fun. Uh so yeah, we're not really going to uh, I'm, we're not going to really d- dive into some uh, emails this week. Mm-hmm. We're just pretty much going to launch right into things because we're going to have a lot to discuss in terms of uh, De Palma. So we want to get to what we watched this week. And we no. And by the way, we have um, we just, still been receiving your contest that's entries. That's right. Yeah, we do have and, to bring uh, that up. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, and uh, I, I we hear you. Um, I know a bunch of people have said. Um, uh, have said that our stuff is too long, so we're working on that. <laughs> well, uh, it happens. You know, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I've, I've often thought of that as a compliment, personally, but... Well, we have a lot to say about, you know, the art form we there love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Certainly get... not that we're long-winded and digress a lot. Mm. That's mm. certainly not the case. No, we're just rambling there. <laughs> you know. Okay, anyway, speaking of rambling, let's get right into it. Uh, what we watched this week. Cool. What did we watch? We watch movies. What the hell are we watching now? It's probably a movie, 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 Why don't we go first, Patrick, because we both saw, we're going to discuss the same film mm-hmm. here. You saw it for the second time, Tree of Life. Yes. My favorite film of the year so far. Yeah, probably mine too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you had some reservations about well, how it all ties in thematically. And I, th- I think you don't need any of Sean Penn's, uh, like Sean Penn's uh, sort of, I wouldn't say bookending, but uh, certainly that whole last part... Uh, where he's walking on a beach and he's like in heaven or whatever and he's seeing the seven people you see in heaven or all mm-hmm. that dumb kind of uh, I think it works I don't think I, <laughs> I think it works I think it works wonderfully yeah. I mean the, the, some of the Sean Penn stuff I don't think quite works simply because I think clearly they shot a lot more of him and Malik decided to drop most all of it and as a result, it kind of like you know what most of that stuff kind of plays funny, but the ending I think is beautiful personally. It just didn't. I, the other thing is uh, thematically, it tie, it's tries to tie the story of this family in Texas uh, in the I believe late fifties. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, um, the story of brothers and. Uh, it's from it's from the kid's perspective, obviously, because the dad is 
you know, a domineering and mean, and the mom's practically, a, yeah, pra- you know, practically floating uh, on a air. seraphim. Yeah. Um, but, I think she's floating on air at one point. Well, right, yeah, she, she's recalling uh, the first time that she went flying in a plane. Right. Um, though I don't think that was meant to be literally part of... Um, I don't think that was meant to be literally something that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I don't feel that Malik does a very good job tying in the other stuff about creation uh, and about like a good chunk of the movie is devoted to Nebula and you know the Amoebas Big Bang, the and Big the Bang. Big Bang yeah. and you know it's it's a very biblical movie, but I don't they feel very separate. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, I, it works in some ways in that it clues the, it clues the watcher in on, uh, um, that okay, this is a movie that's more to meditate on than in a straightforward story like Badlands or something. Right. You There's know, no conventional it's, it's, narrative in any way. Right. It's, yeah. It's, no, slows, it's closer. It's closer to something like 2001 in a way. Right. In in in. And I I like the it. way they just do the conventional oh. narrative. Jesus. What? You don't think it's you don't think that he was going for something like 2001 where it's philosophical? I, I you going to disagree uh, that it's that it's philosophical, but I'd also argue 2001 does have a conventional storyline, like it's a pretty straightforward story. Right, but, but that's also argue that the storyline part is actually the least interesting part about 2001. Yeah, the storyline is I mean, I, you, you I would disagree, but Tree of Life has that, a Tree of Life has a story <laughs> and character arcs too, but it's clearly uh, not a cliches and it has oh god it's such a it's not a good movie it's not and I can't believe people are freaking going crazy this thing you're one of them iconic class aren't you (laughs) (laughs) I I like Malik this is represents almost everything bad about Malik it is him cranked up to 11 it's full of just oh it's such bourgeois bullshit that just drives me bourgeois bullshit (laughs) from malik yeah i mean he is he is oh god it's so self-indulgent and which i like my biggest the film is the film really isn't saying a lot and it doesn't give anyone anything to actually think about it's entirely dependent on the viewer to put forth the effort because the film doesn't give you anything i would disagree that's Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I strongly I, disagree. The film doesn't give you anything. The film gives you a lot. It doesn't put the pieces no. together for you, but yeah. it's not. But, but, I, you, I, but I, I assume that you're smart enough to like actually do some of the working yourself. And whether or not it's self indulgent, I mean, the best art is self indulgent. I mean, if you I want agree. art that you know, has no self indulgent at all, then you'll watch and you'll watch the Burn Shirley reruns for God's sake. <laughs> That's like the antithesis of self indulgent. There's plenty of self-indulgence, but at the same point, the idea that art has to be self-indulgent or great art has to be, that is su- that is total bullshit, and that's self-indulgent bullshit. No, it doesn't Well, you have just said be. the best art is self-indulgent. That's not true. That's some that of the, is my, 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 or maybe in my maybe for me at least, you know, some of the best, my favorite artists, the self-indulgent kind. I'll agree to that. I'll, I'll admit that. Maybe not for everyone's taste, but I would say in this case, I would rather see something that's self-indulgent. Rather than something that's like trying to appease every single person in the world the same at, so, at, at once. So Matt, you own. didn't you did <laughs> not find that. Matt, you did not find yeah. the film to be jaw droppingly beautiful. And it's with it is without a doubt it's beautiful. Okay. I think whoever got the National Geographic footage from, he totally did a great job. <laughs> I believe that was all made. 
No, uh, no, there was some footage, uh, specifically the shark shit, footage. Uh, well, not all of it, with, though. Like, the lights, not all of the nature footage. The manipulation uh, of the lights and things like that, I think he made with this. I don't know specifically well, who he made it with, but. I, I don't know. I, I remember reading about it. It's not. It's some guy uh, who is like a theorist, whatever, theoretical physicist or something, but. Mm-hmm. Um, that was all, but it's not 100 um, percent stock footage, and then Texas no, footage. Right? It clearly isn't. But I mean, you also, have to, from my perspective, I went to school for biology. I've done studied anthropology. All that imagery is not anything new to me. I've seen tons of it, and to see it well, no, in this kind of text is not anything impressive. Well, right. I'm. I'm not even. I'm not talking about. Um, the uh, footage of nature. I found that mostly boring. Um, <laughs> I am talking. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm talking about the uh, the footage of the the childhood home and the children running, um, and all of, like that is. And again, um, I should probably say uh, this is. I'm very biased because I am someone who grew up in Texas um, in a very Christian household with a father who is pretty much identical to brad pitt uh and several of the events in the movie literally happened to me like to the point where it felt like malik did a biography of me like a biopic of me and didn't tell me uh so it's hard for me to be objective but at the same time um it it, it's just i like i think the best part of malik it also has which is it's just fucking Beautiful, and it captures this sort of, uh, sort of the same with this Badlands, where Badlands sort of perfectly captured this feeling of adolescence, um, this tone. The same thing in Tree of Life, where it perfectly captures the feeling of, of just being totally unhindered by mm-hmm. any, uh, by by any responsibilities or anything, and running around the neighborhood at all hours of the night, and you know, doing horrible shit to birds nests and stuff like that like <laughs> like like that all was it felt more to me like the persistence of memory and just like fragments of right. your past and mm. and I, I just like that he you know sort of uh theorizes on where we came from and where we might go and he doesn't really give you that set in stone okay well we all go to heaven or you know we all came from it's like it allows for you to put yourself in the movie in a way that I find very invigorating as I'm watching it. Like I feel like this, I'm completely immersed in this movie in a way that very few movies have done to me. Um, and I can't really, I can't really attest to, you know, relating to it, um, entirely on, on, um, you know, from, from the perspective of the children. Um, I didn't have that sort of, uh, upbringing and yet I found myself, thinking this is exactly what childhood feels like as I'm watching this movie. And I, yeah, I mean, especially at the point where, you know, especially at that point in your, your, your adolescence where your parents are becoming less like these sort of like, you know, godlike people. And you're beginning to say right. like that, I, more like ordinary, you know, like ordinary people with their own flaw with their own flaws. And you're just beginning to understand them. Well, right. Not I, entirely. And I think that, you know, I think that's fascinating. I think that's something that doesn't really, you really don't get to see a lot 
in movies handled in that in that particular way, and that's one of the things I admire most about it. And I don't, and you know, I hear about Brad Pitt being called as like this abusive father and that. And I don't really think he's, he's abusive in that, <laughs> no, he's really not. abusive in any way. Mm. Um, you know, he just, just he, he's flawed, definitely. Yeah. But I mean, he's I don't think he's being. I mean, there's except for the one dinner table, you know, scene where it just kind of like blows blow up at everyone. I mean, he's more frustrated than anything else. But I don't think he's yeah. like. Particularly, you know, particularly cruel or anything like no. that. I mean, at least not how I thought it. Um, I, and especially in the context of the late fifties, he's certainly not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, where you know, I think a lot worse than what he does would have been, you know, socially acceptable. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but Matt, would you say that part of the problem is you didn't respond emotionally to the movie at all? Because I would say majority, oh, not at all. yeah, I'd say a majority of my response was just like purely emotional and relating to it to the to the point where, like I said, I don't think like there there's uh, it, it's funny you mentioned it's about where you sort of realize your parents aren't God because I I felt the same thing I I, I felt it would make a good uh, good double feature with Mosquito Coast for that reason because <laughs> that's sort of a movie about that as well, um, but. And then there, are, you know, and then it it tries to get into the nature of instead of this father and this son, it's fathers and sons, and then capital F father and so, capital S son. Um, I don't think it does a great job tying all that. I think it'd be a much stronger movie if it was just the childhood segments and maybe a little bit of the you know nature interlude. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I do feel this is one of the most beautiful movies ever made. Like hands down. Like just jaw-droppingly gorgeous movies. Yeah, I can't think of many that would. You know, I haven't seen any other Malick movies on the big screen, so I couldn't. But it feel, but it's certainly more beautiful to me than uh, you know, uh, Days of Heaven or even Badlands, which is one of my favorites. Yeah, and in terms of just being moved visually and the fact that I'm a fan of poetry and classical music, like I felt like all the elements were sort of coming together in a really astonishing way with this movie and that's just it it's like i mean i i can be moved by a movie just visually like i don't need all everything to work perfectly i don't need even just the acting to be spectacular i can just like watch a movie visually and be stimulated enough to where you know if it's great to look at i can be pretty much wowed the whole time and i didn't necessarily connect to it on a story level but I, I, I just appreciate his ambition in creating like his own unique vision, and he's done that with every single movie. So yeah. So but, uh, yeah. So I, anyway, that's uh, that's that's tree of life. Recommendation. It's I could I would never I would never ever tell anyone. Um, I actually had a very similar feeling towards the future uh, of like just extremely emotional connection. But it's like that. It's never a movie I would say for sure, unless I really knew the person intimately. Oh, you'll like this movie. But I don't think, I don't think anyone like my my girlfriend saw it with us and she hated it. But she definitely was glad she saw it because she was like, "Oh, that was an amazing <laughs> theater experience." Definitely. Yeah. So right. I would definitely recommend everyone see it and see it in the theater if you can. But I'm not going to say you'll like it. So Matt, what what uh, what have you seen recently that you want to talk about real quick? Um, the movie I saw recently um, that I am a huge huge fan of now uh, comes out. I think now it's been pushed a few times this year, and I think it co- it's now coming out either in late September or early October. It's fifty fifty. Oh, oh yeah, 
with Joseph Gordon-Levitt really and Seth Rogen. Mm-hmm. Um, Originally and then, called and, my my cancer year or what's yeah what? my cancer year or something like something no I, th- like I that. think that's or actually the cancer. that's the Harvey no, yeah that's the Harvey P car biopic right no I think, I think it was my year with cancer or something, yeah yeah or my something like that um, the trailer for that's this, excellent yeah the movie is outstanding it is I cannot stress enough how fucking good this movie is um, it's incredibly well acted. The story is great. Um, it's it's pretty clear on whoever wrote it um, had, knew someone that either had a terminal illness or died from cancer or something like this. It does a ridiculously good job of showing um, how freeing death, I guess, can be. Like at the same point, these hmm. you know Joseph Gordon Levitt is cr- his life is crumbling around him and he's tr- struggling to maintain control and when he finally stops giving a shit he actually finally starts enjoying his life more even though it's falling apart um which is a very very difficult thing to portray and it, i mean the it, it's a very very dark comedy it does a great job of it it does it, it, i just can't stress enough how fucking good this movie is i'm really excited for it i mean i was like when I first heard the premise, I thought, "Isn't this kind of like what Seth Rogen was to Adam Sandler in uh, in Funny People?" But um, yeah, it's it's, and I liked Funny People. This movie is far more grounded in almost in a in something closer to reality. Good. I mean, there's shit tons of Hollywood movies that deal with people dying. You know, think of My Life, or I'm trying to. I mean, there's tons of them. You can just rattle them off. Stepmom. And, <laughs> and, and, and anything involving people singing Motown songs and the hairbrushes at yeah. some point. Sure. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's it's so common and it always has this kind of air of superficiality or just this falseness to it because it's it's romanticized and fifty fifty does a really good job of stripping that away. And Joseph Gordon Levitt, you know, at his heart is a decent guy, but he totally abuses the idea that he's dying and he's selfish and and closes himself off from his, you know, his mother and his friends, and it, he's ugly at times. And I really liked that. I thought that was very interesting. By the way, yeah. the, the writer Will Reiser, um, this is his first screenplay. The only thing he has written before this was he was a writer on the HBO show Assume the Position with Robert Wool. I don't know if you saw that. It's basically Robert Wool giving PowerPoint presentations about history. <laughs> wow. Which has got to still be better than Arliss, one would think. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, man. Anyway. No, I'm excited for that one for sure. Yeah. Do you know when that's coming out? It's it's late September, I think. It keeps changing. It says September 30th. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's had like three different release dates, and they keep bumping it back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can almost guarantee, like, I think they're trying to get. I don't know if it'll have Oscar buzz. I don't know if it's – it doesn't strike me quite as an Oscar film yet. I mean, I would hold it up against anything that comes out this year. Great. Well, I'm excited. With, I'm a, I've become a big Joseph Gordon-Levitt fan. Yeah. Mysterious with, Skin. With, with ten nominees, like what counts as an Oscar-nominated movie has sort of changed. Oh, yeah. You just yeah. never know now. <laughs> and with the blind side, you know, if it's as good as the blind side, then, then oh, you know it'll, it'll be right up there. Right. Anyway, um, yeah, I'm really excited. How is Seth Rogen in that? He's good. He's he's very much playing a similar character, but he's not in it a lot. I mean, it's primarily Joseph Gordon-Levitt. It's, okay. You know, cool. Um, and it's all these different cast of characters. The cast is amazing. Like 
Angelica Houston is his mother. Um, Philip Baker Hall is a is somebody that he that's nice. getting cancer treatments at the same time. Um, Anna Kendrick is his therapist, who no, usually annoys the shit out of me, but I I actually thought she was really good in this. Um, Bryce then, Dallas uh, Howard, I think, is in yeah, it. Yeah, that's his girlfriend. Um, yeah, I, it's it's really fucking good. It's funny. It's sad. I mean, it's it's seriously a damn good movie. Excellent. Um, and then uh, Peter. Um, I've got one. It's I, again. It's coming out the end of September, I think. It was a big. It premiered at Cannes earlier this year. When it was a big hit. It's a movie called Drive. Oh, oh my gosh, I want to see that <laughs> so bad. <laughs> With with, with 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 Ryan Gosling, and he plays a Hollywood stunt driver who, by night, uh, freelances as a getaway driver for for various criminal activities. And in the movie, his next door neighbor is played by Carrie Mulligan, and her husband is in a jam, and he offers to uh, help him get out. And let's just say things go horribly wrong, and I won't say anything beyond that except. Um, it cast has uh, Albert Brooks in it as a former film producer turned crime boss, and oh my god, every every preconceived notion you have about Albert Brooks, you know, will, yep. will be completely shattered with this movie. That's all I keep hearing. <laughs> um, seriously, uh, he's he's I mean he's fun, I mean he's always he's funny he's always funny but he's also scary as hell in this movie. You don't want to see what he does with a pair of chopsticks, and uh, I would not be surprised to see him get uh, getting talked about for supporting actor nomination for this one. Um, Ron Perlman's in it. Uh, Brian Cranston's in it. Uh, and the, the plot is sort of the plot is basically kind of kind of like a riff on the, the Walter Hill film, The Driver. But I mean, from a great uh, from a product well vaguely, yeah. Um, from a production standpoint, I mean, basically, it's is harking back to like you know the early Michael Mann films of the eighties. I mean, it's got like a Tangerine Dream kind of soundtrack. The Lush vid, you know, visual style. I mean, it's a, a, a really and when and when it's violent, it's it's not violent all the way through, but when it is violent, it's really, really, really bloody. Like even if you even if you're like the Scarface fanatic, you'll be sitting there going, "Damn!" After some of the stuff oh, in that. Um, but seriously, it's it's an amazing film, and what comes out at the end of September, and I seriously think you'll all be knocked on your ass by it. Yeah, I was I was I was a fan of uh, uh, Bronson. Was that his last movie? I think. Uh, he did this thing called Valhalla Rising. Oh, yeah, uh, Valhalla Rising. Yeah, the director. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, uh, I mostly like, like weird Bronson to like psychedelic it. Viking movie kind of. That's a good yeah. one. Valhalla. Yeah. I did see Valhalla yeah. Rising. That's good. I'll have to check that one out. Yeah, this is yeah, this is like his big. You'll, like, uh, you'll love it, Jim. You and yeah. he he he, he pulls it off wonderfully. I think I think with the Valhalla Rising and now this, he's definitely a Walter Hill fan because Valhalla Rising reminded me a little bit of Southern Comfort. Obviously, yeah. like, oh. a, a, like a medieval Southern Comfort. Well, but shit. I've it's better, that kind of movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've, I've seen interviews. I've seen a couple of interviews where he like completely cops like being like heavily influenced by Walter Hill and Michael Mann especially. In this yeah. One, so. oh. But yeah, no, it's a really good film. And I haven't seen, I haven't seen his uh, Pusher trilogy, but I really want to. That Those are really good too. Um, That's great. God, I really want to. That trailer is like fucking incredible. I know. <laughs> That's. I mean, once the first time I saw it, I literally started emailing everybody and yeah, putting on Facebook. Was like, this movie was made for me. I know it. <laughs> Basically, imagine that trailer for two hours long, and that that that's a movie. I mean, in a good way. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's so good that Albert Brooks is. Do you think he's? Do you think this is like a one-off for him, or you think he's going to do a quote-unquote comeback? Maybe. He well, I mean, he's, I mean, he he's appeared at, he's appeared in other people's movies over the years. Uh, he, he he took time off because he was doing like that novel and all that. I mean, I'd like to see him, you know, 
do more work. Um, so hopefully this will get you know this will get him thinking you know that he can do more in place or like you know the, the neurotic Jew that you hire when you can't get you know Jerry Seinfeld or, yeah. or, or Woody Allen or, or, or someone else. But you know hopefully this will like open up a new you know avenue for him. Yeah, he he's, like, he's, he's great in it. He had a small role in uh, Out of Sight. I remember. It looks oh, like yeah. it looks yeah. like the last sort of non Simpsons thing he did. Um, well, because he's a frequent you know guest uh, yeah. voice on Simpsons. Is uh, he had a small part on uh, like a four episode arc on oh, weeds? Weed, yeah. yeah. And then before that, it was looking for comedy in the Muslim world. So it, it he really has sort of you know and dialed back. Yeah, he just he just doesn't doesn't work that much. And I, and I, I don't know if that's because no one will hire him. Or and of course, don't forget the in laws. As I think <laughs> oh, all of us. Let's still forget that. To let's totally forget that, please. <laughs> Wow, but yeah, you know he's he's amazing in this movie. I mean, he's one of my he you know he, Frank he thinks he's arguably the funniest you know filmmaker in America still, and uh, he's just a knockout in this. I'm glad we got some shit to look forward to, man. Yeah, <laughs> usually I'm really excited. Really, we're all just marking time before Shark Night 3D. I mean, you know, let's, well, let's, let's, yeah. let's not get anything wrong here. Usually, sure. usually like this time of year, I still have no idea what movies I'm really excited about. That are, like usually the movies that I'm excited about take me by surprise, um, but I think this year, you know, between Fifty Fifty and uh, Drive, and oh, I can't remember the other one I saw a trailer for recently. Hmm. Um, they got me super excited. I think I'm very excited because I don't like summer movies, right? So <laughs> I don't I don't fuck with them really, and I don't like humidity. So once everything cools down, the movies get better and. My mood gets better, so pretty much the only. Did you guys? Did you guys see uh, Attack the Block? Yeah. No. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't particularly care for it. I mean, it. I, you know, it's it, it's you mm. know for a super low budget, you know, British, you know, British, you know, horror comedy hybrid thing. I mean, it 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 it's, it's reasonably well done. And again, this is a guy made made by someone who's clearly a fan of Walter Hill and also John Carpenter. Yeah, 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 yeah. Basically, basically, it's like the it's like a cross between Assault on Precinct Thirteen and The Warriors and Critters, for God's sakes. And but <laughs> and, and it's fun for a little while, but after a while, it just gets a little monotonous. It's like it's like one of those movies where if you see it like at a convention with like you know 600 people who are all in that state in sort of mindset it could be really fun but if you sure. watch it like just on your own you know after, after like a half hour it's just kind of like come on get on with uh, it. i i fucking love them that movie was like everything i want summer movies to be with these really yeah. it's really fun i mean the kid the, the main kid movies is really good i mean like i said it, it's well done it's just like you know after a while it just got a little a little you know repetitive for me frankly <laughs> It was pretty tight too. I mean, it was like a sh- yeah. short, like what eighty. No, it's like, like nine, maybe like ninety minutes yeah. tops. Yeah, I yeah. didn't. Th- I never felt like it. You know, it wore out its yeah. welcome too soon. I mean, I'm re- I, I I didn't particularly like this movie, but the guy who I forget the name of the guy who directed, it, but I would definitely be interested in seeing what his what, you know like what he comes up with next. Uh, right. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, the guy clearly has talent. It's just that you know, it, it's just after what you know. Yeah, I, I think it would have been like a thirty minute short or something like that. I probably would have liked it a lot more. Just you know, it being a little more conci- a little more concise and all that, and it wouldn't have worn off welcome quite as quickly. But I, just, I mean, it's not a that's bad I felt- movie. I mean, I don't hate it. I mean, it, 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 I don't, I don't, you know, it's not like it's a terrible, terrible movie. It just, you know, for me, it just kind of like wore out welcome after a while. I just, I loved every character so much. I, I thought every character is so great that I just, mm. I loved it. Uh, I was a little disappointed. I thought that it wasn't a little longer, actually. Uh, <laughs> well, how how you were saying that you wish it was a thirty minute short? That's kind of how I felt about Rubber. 
Like I felt like that where yeah, I was welcome. Yeah, that's another one where it's got like a great idea and it's you know okay for a few minutes, then yeah. or like the the, the, John, the new John Carpenter movie, the uh, the Ward, which Ooh. I think he, I think it just came out. And I'm I'm a huge John Carpenter fan. Me too. And that, but, hmm? Me too. Me too. And I was not. Very I, oh, I, I wasn't particularly. I mean, it's it's. I mean, it's, it's reasonably stylish. But again, yeah. if that had been like, you know, if he had done that, like the masses of that that masses of horror thing, where only you cut out a, a half hour of you know, you know, narrative flab, it might have been like a reasonably good episode as long as you had gotten rid of the ending. Yeah, that's um, that's one of those movies. What, as I'm watching, it, I'm like, no, 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 don't, no, don't go there. Don't yeah. go where I think you're gonna go. And then it went there, and I was fucking pissed. <laughs> yeah, but you know, so if you had like you know, but you down, but even but even if I've been on TV and it only been like an hour. I mean, even if you had like the the the, the stupid predictable ending, you might have been able to a little, been a little more forgiving towards it. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's done. It's made well, and I hope he you know it gets him back you know to doing more movies instead of just sitting on the couch smoking pot and cashing you know remake checks for like the thing and all that but um no it's it's it, it, and you know i i'll justify almost any carpenter movie without invisible men in it but other than but that one just didn't quite work village of the damned that's got it it's not good it's not very good but it's got a couple it's got a couple of good moments in it i mean mm. it's not complete disaster yeah well we'll save that for the carpenter episode maybe <laughs> But, you know, I, I'm the guy who would, like, justify Ghosts of Mars, so, you know, yeah, that's yeah. I'm, I'm coming. I, I've, I've been sitting here trying to think if you if there's anything, like, any any worse example of damning with faint praise than it would have been a pretty good episode of Masters of Horror. Because that, that is a <laughs> shitty yeah, series. I mean, no, it, that's a very good program, but... You know, if you're lowering your expectations, because I mean, you know, your expectation for a John Carpenter TV episode as opposed to a John Carpenter movie, you know, the TV episode you're going to lower your expectations for. Man, I I like cigarette burns. Oh no! <laughs> no I much, you know, cigarette burns. You know, cigarette burns like, is actually really good. The other one, uh, the oh, oh, what was it? the abortion Pro- one? Pro, uh, Pro life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was not 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 quite so good. No, but no. Pretty much yeah, the the only Masters of Horror episodes I really liked were Lucky McKee's Sick yes, Girl. Yes, and mm-hmm. uh, the two John Landis did. Yeah, I liked the I liked the Argento ones too. I think I missed those actually. Jennifer was one, and then yeah. Pelts. Pelts, yeah, yeah. yeah. I never, yeah. I didn't see either of those. Nah, but the last, the last ones were pretty good. I mean, no, the, I, as a whole, the program wasn't you know, obviously it was not very good. But you know, it did a couple of okay moments. Yeah. Well, I think we're ready to move on. I think so. To some heated discussion. It's about to heat things up. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's going to get wild. Fire starter. Yeah. Style. So. um... <laughs> Let's get it on, guys. We'll, uh... Hold on, real quick. <laughs> Do you guys remember the sound that the like whenever the dad did psychic shit in Firestarter? Do you remember the sound it made? Uh, no. Okay. Oh, I Jim, put a put a delay on my effect right now. I don't know if I can right off the top of my head. Oh, please, wait, please, because this is the dumbest. Oh I don't even know God, if I can find the right delay. Some... All right, never mind then. Forget it. Wait. Try it, try it, try it. Hello? 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 Okay, this okay, is this, this is, is what it sounded like. What? That's it. It sounded like a guy saying wah with my, the delay my, my on it. My nose is already bleeding. What a, what a coincidence. <laughs> oh, God. That movie's horrible. Me and my me and my girlfriend <laughs> love Drew Barrymore, so we were watching all the Drew Barrymore movies we hadn't seen. We should have skipped that one. Oh, Christ. Yeah. I uh, wanted George C. Scott's prouder moments. Mm-mm. All right. Anyway, let's go. Let's let's go that ahead and get so into Brian weird. De Palma. Brian De Palma. 
Enrolled at Columbia as a physics student, De Palma became enthralled with the filmmaking process after viewing the classic works of Hitchcock and Orson Welles. After producing some documentaries, he filmed a live theatrical production of Dionysus in 69. This play was noted for breaking traditional barriers between the performers and the audience. He later became inspired to create a split-focus diopter in order to utilize the full screen to show background action and then chose to showcase simultaneous action in different space through the use of split screen. And after making a couple of early political films with Robert De Niro in the early 70s, De Palma went on to Hollywood where he did some big budget films and made some earlier stamps with his own style with films like Sisters and Obsession. It was the adaptation of Stephen King's Carrie that turned out to be his first big success, which led him to making some more thematically complex paranoia thrillers, which were celebrations and commentaries on filmmaking itself. Now, this was sort of encapsulated in the first film we're going to be talking about next, which is Blowout, but I kind of wanted to get a sense of how everybody feels about De Palma in general with like just a, a brief summation on how they feel about him as a filmmaker. So, um, who wants to go first? <laughs> Good news or bad news? <laughs> I'll yield the floor. Go for it, Matt. Um, he fucking blows. <laughs> <laughs> he is... De Palma is a director I should really like. Uh, he's a trashy filmmaker. He He's influenced by a lot of films and filmmakers that I enjoy. But for whatever reason, when I watch his films, they're so dry and so lifeless. They drive me just fucking insane. And on top of it, the fact that he apes so many directors that are so much better than him. Um, he's, he's nails on chalkboard to me. It's absolutely grating watching his movies. And it's almost uniformly. There's, there's very few films of his that I like. And I keep watching them hoping that I'll finally find the one that clues me in on why so many cinephiles go ape shit over this guy, and I just don't see it. It so just drives me nuts. What what of the few films uh, would you say you would give a passing grade to? A passing grade? Yeah. like uh, Carrie, Carrie is probably my favorite and by, a, probably, by a pretty wide margin. I think it's a good movie, um, and I j- enjoy watching it. Um, outside of that... Raising Cain is a guilty pleasure. Um, Mission Impossible is passable. Outside of that, there's not much. Wise Guys is okay, but it's not nothing special. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, Sisters is fucking horse shit. Uh, <laughs> Carlitos Way is horse shit. Uh, Scarface is perhaps one of the worst movies ever made. And an absolute abomination of filmmaking. Mission to Mars is terrible. Like, everything new he's done is, it's fucking even worse. It's like De Palma aping himself, and it's just ludicrous. Snake Eyes, Mission to Mars, uh, Black Dahlia, those oh, those movies are fucking brutally bad. Um, well, we'll definitely get into that more <laughs> later, like, for sure. I don't know. The guy just... I, I will. I mean, his earlier stuff I find at least interesting, but the further his career goes, oh, he just—he's terrible. He's fucking terrible. All right. Um, and now, uh, <laughs> Peter, the De Palma defender. Yes. 
Well, you know, you yeah, I guess he can go, you know, Matt can go back and hang out in the Gary Marshall aisle of the video store, whereas, you know, the real film fans will stick with the Palma, because, I mean, you know, dry, and, you know, there are many words one can use to describe the Brian De Palma. Dry and lifeless are not two of them. Um, I find his, you know, right from the beginning, I find, uh, from the earliest stuff in his career, I find his stuff, you know, fa- fascinating. He, you know, he has, he has, like, certain obsessions that he, like, all great filmmakers are all great artists. He has certain obsessions that he goes, that he touches on over and over again. Uh, and you know, I think in new and in new and unique ways every time. Um, I think you know he's one of the, he's one of these directors who, if he wants, if he wanted to, if he wanted to, he could go out and like make sort of like you know conventional entertainments. And he's done that. He's done that every now and then uh, with a movie like Carrie or uh, The Untouchables. Wait, or oh, Mission re- real quick, you called Car- You would call Carrie conventional. In terms of the fact that it's an adaptation of a best-selling novel, that's not based. That's not based on something original of its own. I would say that's more conventional. I would say it's more conventional than uh, you know many of his other films, and like okay. say a femme fatale or something that he's that's wholly of his own devising. That you know by that matter, I mean you know it's not conventional by compared to say you know the King's Speech or something like that. Right. But I mean that that's not something that was something that that was something he devised of himself. What I'm talking about, mm-hmm. but if you but, but but that was that's like a big but he also managed to do that in a way that struck a chord with audiences and was a you know was a box office hit at the time. And I'm saying that you know he in the past in the past he has been able to do that where he can make a movie that you know touch it, that hits the, the the sort of like you know box office success without completely squandering what it is that makes him unique and like that's something like Carrie or Mission Impossible or The Untouchables. Um, but when he's like you know just doing like a better words a pure unfettered you know Brian De Palma film like say a Blowout or Femme Fatale or Dress to Kill. I, you know, for me, there's, there's no, he's my favorite filmmaker. I don't find any, I, there's no one I find more fascinating working in film today. And uh, I still think, you know, even his later stuff, you know, holds up, you know, well too. I, you know, Fra- Femme Fatale, I, you know, frankly, I said it was claimed to be the best movie of the last decade, quite frankly. Ooh. And, you know, maybe, and, and, even, and even something, and even other, even films, that, even something like Carlito's Way or Snake Eyes, I find to be, you know, fascinating the way that they're conventional entertainments, but yet in a weird way, they're also like, you know, oddly autobiographical too, in, 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 in certain, you know, respects that I find interesting too. I didn't realize I'd be arguing against someone who's high. <laughs> <laughs> Only high on life and art, my friend. There's no art in De Palma. Okay, well, wait, real quick, Jim. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll, we'll get to more of the arguing in a minute or so. I realize he's oh god, a divisive Matt just filmmaker. cracking up in the background is <laughs> yeah. classic. All right, go ahead, um, Jim. Like, I don't know. He's one of those filmmakers that I know you mentioned this before we recorded. Within the same movie, there are things that I'm kind of in awe of, and then there are things that kind of drive me nuts. But overall, like his sort of, I don't know how, like an orgiastic approach to style, where he just like foregoes, you know, substance and storytelling in favor of drawing the view- viewer in like on a visual level. I find that really fascinating to me. Like just the way he moves the camera, the interesting places he put. Like I, I can, I can honestly admit he is not. A, a great storyteller, and I don't, that's not one of his strengths. But as like a craftsman who has incredible control over the way he films things, I, I find that really like pretty pretty much every time I watch a De Palma movie, even one of even one of his bad movies, I'm like that is a fucking amazing shot. Now I realize that that should not make it you know make or break a make or break a movie. But he no, acted, when work, but when you're working in a medium that's a visual medium, that counts for a lot more because otherwise, if you just want like something that's like 
that tells sto- tells a story in the like the the most bland and ordinary way possible, and go yeah. see a John Badham movie. Yeah, and, or you could maybe watch the directors that he stole from, because no, because no, no, no other director in history has ever borrowed. Besides, he in, he's in, okay. he's, he's borrowing stuff from other directors, but instead he's not like just flat out copying them. Hold he's on, on hold on. Okay, all <laughs> yeah, right. Borrowing stuff, Jim. Joe, thank you, I'm Peter. We there. will get more I'm into this, there. Jim. Go ahead and just, finish just, it up. I mean, just a little bit more. I mean, like I said, I can dislike a De Palma movie for a lot of a lot of reasons, and but I still commend like the way he puts movies together, sound design, uh, editing, uh, just like the go for broke nature to his approach. Like I, I think he uses cinema as a way to like satiate kind of his voyeuristic tendencies, and obviously that shows with you know him being a big Hitchcock fan and whatnot. Um, Side note: um, when his parents were uh, apparently. The story is when his parents were getting divorced, his mom had him follow his dad and take pictures. And like, uh, yeah, well, <laughs> so there's always going to be that's some apparently daddy the, the story of his, yeah. of his voyeurism obsession. I just like that he celebrates the voyeuristic element of how the audience is watching mm-hmm. a movie and how we can be easily manipulated by imagery. And I think the love of like you can tell he is in love with movies. I just I, I get that sense in the same way I get with Paul Thomas Anderson. Yes. So um, I will say. Jumping off of your point, my point of view is uh, he definitely loves movies, and uh, unfortunately, it feels like that's mostly what he loves, and uh, he doesn't really, he's not really interested in much else, and it, he makes movies about movies, about making movies, about movies, and it's uh, it, it can be so frustrating. I think, I will say this, I think he's a hack, I think he's the greatest hack, I think he's the greatest hack who has ever lived. <laughs> I think he has accidentally made classic films with Carrie. Um, I think I think uh, Blowout I would not call it a classic. I think that's a very good movie. Um, again, that's a but that would be an example of. We'll talk about more about it later. But uh, I think I think unfortunately he loves cinema more than he loves being a storyteller. So. Some of his movies are so incoherent, it's hard to find any pleasure in them all. That's what I would yeah. say. Like, I, uh, Matt, when you, when you said Raising Cain was a guilty pleasure for you, it baffled me because, like, I spent so much of that movie just fucking lost at what, what the hell was even going on that I couldn't even get well, any enjoyment. See, this may be one of those few points where we agree. Yeah. What's that? Sorry, Matt? For me, Raising Kane is all about Lithgow going apeshit. Yeah, and I just love watching. I love watching him overact. Like yeah. that's fun. He loves shooting. Yeah, and he gets to do it three oh, yeah. times. <laughs> is he that gets the only to... time we're going to agree on a De Palma movie? <laughs> it might be, <laughs> but uh, I I love Phantom of the Paradise. I think that's a very kooky, hilarious movie. Uh, sure I mean, is. I love it the same way I love the Apple, which isn't to say ironically, but it is to say. Uh, I love how batshit insane it is, despite the fact that it's probably not a good movie. Um, yeah. I'm, I'd say, so that's sort of how I feel about De Palma, is that I think he's a hack, but I think more often than not, he's able to do astounding things. Um, at least one astounding thing, and I I think that it at least justifies his existence, if not... Uh, if if not puts him, makes him one of the great filmmakers, which I probably would not say. 
Yeah, and I would agree with that. But so now, but we got we got to talk about blowout. Well, right, right. So now everyone knows everyone knows where everyone is standing. Yeah. Uh, we're we're gonna dive into blowout, and then we'll you know let the first. One. He's the one who saw. Yes, he says he pulled the girl out of the car. And I would like you to forget about her. Yeah, that's what I heard just before the tire blew out. You're right; it was a shot. He recorded a murder. They say it never happened. Uh, there's still loose ends. Witnesses. The girl, I've decided to terminate her. Terminate her. Terminate her. Yeah, with Blood, I feel like we're... we're it, it seemed like he came into his own. Like he was... He finally discovered where his strengths lied... And he utilized them to tell a really interesting mystery combined with like a paranoia thriller that wouldn't be out of place with something like the conversation or the parallax view. Um, you know, again, I feel like, you know, in a lot of his movies, he does show off a lot of fancy camera work, and sometimes it inundates to the point where it's like, well, okay, cool, you can do something cool with the camera, tell a good story. But I think Blowout is not only a compelling story about a political conspiracy, but it's beautifully restrained at times. Um, and, like, the, to me, a lot of the, what De Palma is all about is sort of summed up in the scene where Travolta is replaying that footage, much like the Zapruder footage, which, obviously, he was sort of Re- trying to em- emulate and reference, right? Um, well, I think, like, I think all the elements in this movie clicked. I, there's, and, and I like how... I think a lot of what De Palma does is to key the audience... Like, De Palma will key the audience in. All right, right now you're watching something that is artifice. That is, you know, you're you're very aware. You're watching a movie. All right, you're not watch. You're not watching. You know, despite the fact that he's into voyeurism, he's very clearly <laughs> not letting you just have a window into someone's life. He's you're very always clear watching a movie. And I think like uh, that scene where uh, John Travolta is sort of recording, and then it keeps zooming in yeah. on animals and stuff. Like I think that's a more subtle and uh, like mature way to do it, rather than uh, like a lot of his movies where he he'll just be like, and he'll just like throw shit at the screen and be like, "All right, now you know I'm not taking this seriously." And some things stick, and some things don't. Right. I think everything in this movie works, and like I'm I'm pretty much like I, I'm you know I'm I'm into audio and sound design in general, so. Any moment, like, with Travolta being obsessed with trying to get the perfect sound or going back and playing something over and over again, I just... I like that element of the movie, and I also like the story. Right. And that's um, not something I can say in every De Palma movie. Uh, Peter? Yes? I'm, you're... Pretty clearly you love, like, this movie. Yeah, Blowout's in blow my top ten, top ten of all time. Um, I think it's a brilliant movie. I think what it, you know, we were talking about, like, it's, it's definitely... I still think it's his most, most mature thing he's ever done. I yes. think at that time it was sort of like a kind of like a summing up film for him at that point in his career because hmm. you know up till then you know he'd started off doing like these sort of like you know political satires like Greetings and Hi Mom and then he started doing like these increasingly you know baroque you know horror fantasies with you know like Dress to Kill Carrie the Fury with like these very show offy um, visual moments but in, in this one I mean there's also there's all sorts of like you know sort of like standout you know set pieces and that like you know at like the opening. Uh, scene where we think we're watching like a, a really cheesy sort of like slasher horror movie, you know, the kind that he was being accused of making at the time, at, at the time of Dress to Kill, or the scene you're talking about with uh, where he's putting with the Zapruder kind of thing, where he's putting yeah. together the 
his sound recording with like you know a, a, a film strip to try to like making his own little movie. Where, and, but the thing, the difference between that one and many of his other movies is that you know in, uh, in his other movies, I will admit, in a lot of his other movies, obviously his story, his his narrative storytelling is is, is obviously the weakest link in all of his movie in most of his movies. In the case of Blowout, this is the one time where he has a strong story. So this time, when he has like those, you know, the more show-off, you know, scenes like that, they act. They they're not. They don't feel like they, they're being trucked in out from somewhere else. They're right. actually more of an organic part of the story. So you don't feel like you're being taken out of it by like the by the technique and all that. You're like caught. You're so caught up in the story. You're so caught up in the characters that you know when they have like there's a big chase at the end through the parade and all that. You're not marveling on the technical aspect. You're 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 really invested in the characters who you know they're not ciphers this time. They're actually full-blooded characters. And that's why you know the the ending, which is like one of the you know the, the the most downbeat endings of all time. I mean, why it has such an absolute impact because you're invested in the story, you're invested in the characters, and then just the ending of it, like the final image of John Travolta, is just so damn shattering. All right, and Matt, um, I actually did like Blowout. Um, I, I would agree. I think it's by far his most mature film. Um, the sound direction is actually outstanding mm-hmm. in this yes. movie, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. And I think that's by far the strongest point of the film. I would disagree that the characters were fully fleshed out. I thought they were all flat as shit. Um, <laughs> for the most part, didn't really care about anything. The story was pretty obvious and easy to follow, but it's it's one of the few times where where De Palma's flourishes actually strengthen you know his weaknesses and, yeah. and allow the film to succeed. They I don't think it's a great they, movie, but I yeah. enjoyed watching it. They complement the movie yeah. more than any any yeah. anything else. And those else. and those those sequences of Travolta putting the sound together and you know listening to the the same blowout slash gunshot over and over again until and I I have to go back and watch it again but it feels like the sound effect that is he plays actually changes um because you actually begin or maybe it's just by playing it over and over again you begin to hear the separation of the two. Yeah, because at first I just kept hearing yeah, one I think sound. It's a separation of the two, um, and like so that scene, and then when he has you know made the animation from just the frames, like again the same way the Zabruder film was printed in Life magazine, uh, and uh, he he syncs up his sound with the other guy's uh, film. It's like those scenes are even more exciting, I would say, than the similar scenes and. You know the movies it's referencing, like the conversation or or blow up. Yeah. Um, like those. Well, not only that, I would I would say that that culmination of the scene and putting the sound to the film is the most exciting thing in it. It's far more exciting yes. and thrilling than the ending is. Like yes. That that part of oh, the no, movie. Oh no, I agree. That, that, no, I agree. That's, that's the high point of the movie by far. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, that's not just like an exciting scene. I, that's sort of like you know De Palma's love letter to the you know the the, the complete the, the art of filmmaking. You know. In its entirety, in that he encapsulates like everything that he it, that excites him about the world of filmmaking is like all put laid out in that in that entire sequence. Yes, quite and, and speaking of maturing, I I was also surprised. I guess this was John Travolta's first film where he was sort of playing an adult, like a fully formed adult. Pretty much, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless again, you, I unless you count Urban Cowboy, but yeah, and it's I, the best. I think he's ever given too. Yeah, I would. Uh, I would maybe. I'm. I. I would say maybe Pulp Fiction's a little better but um i would i would sort of agree with matt that i thought the characters weren't fully fleshed out but he definitely uh, he definitely does a good job 
Um, and it's and it was nice because a lot of the times it always feels like the performances aren't always what's on De Palma's mind, and a lot of the times the performances are kind of horrible in his movies. Yeah. Uh, well, I, think, yeah. I think the trick on that one is because because uh, normally John Travolta is always is usually playing like these likable you know you know good good kind guys, whereas the character that he's playing there is like this this, this basically like this you know emotionally dead cold fish throughout. And I think you know just the fact you know that Travolta was able to like tamp down tamp down his like sort of like you know natural you know likability in order to play that character I think you know, is a tremendous achievement in and of itself right there and that's why I think whereas like in Pulp Fiction I mean you know he he you know you 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 dig on him you you like him all, you will like him all the way through that whereas I think you know Paul mm-hmm. Loward is much more challenging because he doesn't have that likability thing to sort of like you know so lean I would back on, you know, I would like actually that. disagree I would say he's more of a prick. In Pulp Fiction, I think in this he's number one. The first thing we see him is him and his job, and he respect and like you see that he's good at his job, so you automatically mm-hmm. respect him. Then he saves a, a girl's life, and you know when she's delirious in the hospital, he's very kind to her, and uh, and then he realizes you know we don't see him as a quote unquote political person before that, but uh, he wants to do the right thing. He doesn't even want to lie about the girl being there to protect the governor's family like i don't think he's emotionally cold at all well no but, but no at the beginning because i mean you know because clearly you know that he's better he because he makes no makes no bones about the fact that he thinks he's better than you know the stuff that he's doing but he's just doing that because he doesn't want to you know because he's traumatized by the you know his work with the police department that we see in, in the in the big flashback and that so that's why i you know he, he he's, he's you know more aloof all the way I mean, maybe, maybe not maybe not emotionally cold as mo- it's more more of a, aloof more it'd probably be a better description but he's i, I mean he's he's always been charismatic as hell and so oh, yeah. it it helps yeah. it it helps in the scenes it you know whereas you could look at a movie like body double or something which is a movie i actually really like and i just i just think None of the performances are very good at all. Well, he's not an actor's director, you know, and, no. that's, and I forgive him for that. I mean, it's like same, same, same with same with same with like David Mamet. Like all his, you know, characters and are very wooden, but he's so interested in dialogue and the way people speak and interact, and you know, he's he's more interested in the screenplay component than the actual visual side or yeah. the acting side. Now, I do want to I do want to bring up my main complaint with the movie. Me and Jim were sort of talking about this beforehand. Um, I think that the movie fall not completely falls apart, but it definitely has a disappointing third act. Um, I think number one, I think the concept of um, uh, what's the what's the actress's name? Nancy Allen. Nancy Na- Allen. Yeah, the ca- concept that Nancy Allen has to go into the train station alone is incredibly contrived. Like. Like number one, we've already established that John Travolta is paranoid, and that he finds like a, like a dozen things fishy about this idea. Mm-hmm. Um, he could have easily called the reporter to ask, "Hey, why don't you clarify why you want to see her in the train station?" He could have just went with her anyway and said, "Hey, I'm the one who has footage of a goddamn assassination. Uh, you're going to do what I want you to do, and I have because I have all of the cards." Instead, he goes. All right, I'll let you go, but I'll bug you with the wire. And it, it feels so contrived, um, and it and it, it goes against I feel what his character was before, and even goes against you know even Nancy Allen's sort of reaction where he's like, wait, why do you want to see you alone? And she's immediately dismissing his paranoia when you know just a couple scenes before she was taking you know John Travolta's side against Dennis Franz, like beginning to realize hey no maybe sure. there is more to this than i was previously letting on she takes the opposite side and i think it's all contrived just so you can have a 
like a traditional thriller third act, and I think that's really dis. Like if the, I feel like if the ending was really spectacular, I could forgive it, but it isn't. It's like really rote, like sort of typical thriller ending, and it's just you mean typical well, except for a couple of Well, no, I mean any thriller, any thriller. What does it end with? Well, it ends with the bad guy holding the girl, and it ends with the good guy running to try to save the girl. Like, and they're probably in front of a national monument. You know, like, or or something like that. You know, they're probably in front of the Washington Monument or an American flag because even if it doesn't actually mean anything, people will go, "Oh, I see," because it's like America. And, and shit. I didn't get, I didn't get super <laughs> you know? analytical in that when I was watching it. It's like I didn't. I mean, obviously that those are good points, but as I'm watching the movie, maybe my brain wasn't like, it, tuning into that implausibility. No, it, took, it took me out of the movie. It's not even like it's not even like like I know some people, and I always have. A, I have a bone to pick with people who are like this, who are, like, they'll watch horror movies, and they'll go, what, you're stupid, don't go upstairs, the killer's up there, and, I mean, because the people (laughs) watching the movie are watching it knowing what has happened and knowing that the character's in a horror movie, Mm -hmm. but when the character doesn't know they're in a horror movie, they're gonna go upstairs, just like they would any other time, but I feel like this doesn't only go against, quote-unquote, what is logical to do, but it goes against the characters as established, Um, and I think it does it for no real good reason other than Brian De Palma didn't know how to end it well. Even characters are imperfect, Patrick. They make mistakes. No, 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 no. But they don't change <laughs> they, personalities. Yeah. Well. Well, and that's that's prevalent through pretty much every single De, single De Palma film. Like you literally do have to turn your brain off to his stories because his storytelling is terrible. It's absolutely terrible. Characters make their motivations make no sense. They change on a dime. And it's all because he pa- he continually paints himself into corners in his movies, and that's the only way he knows to go out is to just change the entire rules on the you know on the turn of a dime, and it's so frustrating to watch. If you're looking for consistency, uh, but, you're not going to find it. In well, the no, Palma. and and again, yeah. I, but I mean, you could say that for like a lot of th- a lot of other thrillers. If you like sit there, like you know, if you sit there and like try to like analyze every plot detail afterwards, you'll you'll go crazy. I mean. Well, uh, this if, is... you, if you want, if you're going to venerate Hitchcock, but... I mean, try try sitting there and trying to analyzing the entire plot North by Northwest sometime. No, 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 no. no. This is this is mad. There, there's a difference though. When you are as lauded as De Palma is to be such a piss poor storyteller and to be so reliant on 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 just complete plot breaks to to forward your narrative. Like that's that's See, in this case. I, in this case, I don't. I, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, in, 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 you know, in, in, in when you're analyzing it, like long, long after. Uh, yeah, I guess you could pick it apart. It's not long after. This is yeah. Though this was. The movie, you know, this is me, while I'm I watching the movie. I've never had that problem while watching the movie. I, every, I mean, oh my god! Because so obvious. Like, John, it's from like the. I remember how the movie opens with the first person shot of the of the killer. There's a cop shines a light on the killer as he's holding a knife up and the cop walks by then the killer hides behind a tree so he was clearly visible i mean you just sit there and you watch this and you're like he has no idea of the spatial dynamics of his own scenes and no, on top he's of that creating a shitty low budget ho- you no, know, no, no, no. Yeah, hold on hold on stop half the time hold he on hold on his own movies that's the problem he hold. does not know how to lay out a out of an actual scene, and on top of it, his storytelling is not strong enough to make up for it. Okay, and it is Hitchcock and other better thriller? Here's directors. here's what I want to say. What I want to say is um, plausibility 
has always been low on Brian De Palma's uh, Brian De Palma's priority list of priorities. Like even you want to get to the nuts and bolts of of Carrie, you know he plays fast and loose with reality, which is fine. Sure. But Blowout is not that movie. Blowout is not Body Double. Where oh well he's clearly just the same guy but in weird Indian makeup that yeah. came out of nowhere because well it's a silly movie and the movie's been silly like I'd say the one of the reasons Body Double works is it opens with the hilarious like tales EC kind of tales from the crypt font uh, on the credits and it's it established itself very early on this is a silly movie this isn't plausible this is just this is me having fun and fucking with you. I think the problem with the ending of Blowout is this is a movie where you've established John Travolta is an intelligent person, and this is a movie we're going to slow things down, and this is a movie that is sort of interesting and subtle and well-made in, in, you know, in sort of ways that you would not expect a traditional thriller to be, and then in the third act, it throws all that out because he couldn't keep it up, I guess, you know? I didn't um, feel that way. I felt that, how, all the positive points you brought okay. up is also, how I felt through the whole thing. My other problem: uh, he spends too much time with, uh, uh, and this is this is you know these are minor pro- minor uh, complaints, but too much time with John Lithgow killing the other two women, um, which oh, without a doubt, <laughs> like he was yeah. he was just doing to establish. Oh, and and this is actually normally. I was also telling Jim this. You're watching a movie. You don't know what's going on. You have to make the choice. I'm going to trust that the filmmaker will. And against my better judgment, just because I knew Blowout was so well regarded, I said, I'm going to go against everything I know about De Palma and his storytelling. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to believe, I'm going to trust that this scene of a person I've never seen killing another person I've never seen is going to tie in. And and then later, John, sure enough, John Lithgow in the phone booth goes, I'm going to make it look like a series of sex killings. And it goes, oh, so that's what that was for. That's interesting. Um, and then that's all you needed. You don't need the other long scene of him stalking the hooker um, and all of that. Like, all of that's completely superfluous. Well, uh, they probably had a spare around. I figured, what the hell? <laughs> like, it's... like, And again, the problem... You, you have a thriller. You want things to be taught and you don't want you don't want to drop the tension and he drops the tension so he could have this little stalking sequence because he can't help himself um and it's it's disappointing i mean it's not it's not a bad sequence and it doesn't wreck the movie uh certainly not as bad as the rest of the third act does but i will but it's it's just it's sort of a disappointing and again another instance i will agree matt that he he's not a good storyteller I would say the downfall of the movie for me when it lost me was with the shittiest rape scene I've ever seen. When Dennis Franz tries to rape Nancy Allen, and it really is a matter of them kind of going, no, no, uh, uh, and then a bottle breaks somewhere and kills him. It, lo- it does look like something from like the 1926 like, movie yeah. Maniac. Like. Yeah, or, or, a typical, or a typical Saturday Night with Dennis Franz. <laughs> <laughs> He's not listening. Just, I mean, that's, and I watched it, and up until that point, the movie, for the most part, had me. Like I was willing to look past the the glaring issues here and there, because for the most part, it was successful and it was keeping me interested. And at that, I mean, and that point is basically the end of the second act. Yeah. And it's so ludicrous, and you're just like, what the? F-? It didn't make even any sense for him to try and rape her. 
But it was just no. the only way to get, eliminate this character is he had to kill him off somehow, and he didn't know any other way to do it. I, can, I will I can, say, I can, I can I imagine, I can imagine De Palma like, you know, maybe he just watched Touch of Evil the other night and going, you know what, that was one of the first rape scenes in a movie. I, I should put my own rape scene in a movie. <laughs> You know, it's like <laughs> which is something a bad filmmaker does, by the well, way. Exactly, and that's what he probably did. I mean, I don't think that's far fetched. Um, That'd be awesome. I will oh say this: God, I can recreate it. I, I will say this. Hey, Matt. I will say this. My my one problem with that criticism is you're ignoring the hilarious uh, struggling between the between John Lithgow and the first murdered girl when they're just sort of like they're sort of low energy tumbling down a hill together i thought that was at that, least I, that i was more just like i can't even it looked like it was with a stage dummy i didn't yeah. even know what the fuck was going on i'm like i i that i was more just kind of stunned that it cropped up out of nowhere and i just mm-hmm. kind of wrote it off immediately yeah um but yeah no i think it's a movie with problems, which is why I would never say it has you know, quote-unquote, masterpiece status, but I think it's a good movie, and I enjoyed it, and I think and, uh, yeah, so I like Blowout, I do <laughs> but man, it, like those that third act, and I really, like we're supposed to believe that John Travolta, who like, didn't really have much of a developed relationship with Nancy Allen, except maybe, like, the, her, his big emotional moment with her, with her was calling her a whore when he saw those pictures of her. Like that, and then like he's crying now because she's dead. And he used her scream somehow, even though she was miked with a wire, a radio wire, uh, in a crowd during fireworks while she was struggling with someone. And then he put that scream into a movie. Oh, he's a hell of a sound man. Now. <laughs> yeah, no, he, must I was, be. He, he isolated. I it. was really hoping for the, what is it, the Ohio players to, you know, for. Love Roller Coaster to be the closing credit song. <laughs> <laughs> that would be nice. No, maybe I can just relate to his, you know, struggling with editing stuff because whenever I edit podcasts no, and have to have to listen to your voice over and over and over, <laughs> and over again, it's like fucking. I don't know. Your voice starts turning into like a, makes me want to different... assassinate a presidential candidate. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, no, I understand, and those and those scenes are thrilling and wonderful, yeah. and uh, oh god. Yeah. That's, cool. So uh, that's <laughs> that's blowout. Yeah, that's blowout in a nutshell. Um, I'm glad you liked it, Matt. <laughs> With now let's get let's get it, let's get into a movie that's really going to have people yelling. Uh, um, I don't. Uh, I don't know how anyone could like this fucking. Movie. Well, I I'm sort of on board with you, Matt. So uh, we'll see. Uh, with the next film, his 2002 film, Femme Fatale. Is this Nicholas Bardo? Speaking. You took a picture of Mrs. Watts? I'd like to buy it. Uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Schiff, but uh, it's already been sold. Unsell it. We'll double whatever you got. That's very generous. I don't think I you don't... realize who you're dealing with, Mr. Bardo. We know all about you. I'm a bad girl, Nicholas. Are you flirting with me? Real bad. In 2002, after the dual flops of Mission to Mars and Snake Eyes, Brian De Palma fled Hollywood for France, where he got funding for the noir deconstruction Femme Fatale. 
more interested in messing with viewers than any kind of traditional thriller, Femme Fatale is a mindfuck of a movie that divided <laughs> viewers and critics alike. Roger Ebert called it pure filmmaking, elegant and slippery. Dessen Thompson of the Washington Post said that no normal person should ever hurt themselves trying to follow this thing. Uh, I'm more with the guy. <laughs> I'm more with Dessen. Um, it's it. I suppose I, I'm I'm calling it a noir deconstruction because that's what I've read. Uh, it's hard for this. <laughs> it was hard for me to get much of anything out of it. Uh, oh no! I'll say this. Let me start off with the only positive thing. Really like the diamond heist sequence. It's completely <laughs> ludicrous. But uh, it's well edited. You know where all the pieces are coming together. The tension. Every- yeah. Oh, that's a, that's a very good sequence. And uh, and not surprised. You are into the lesbian scene. That's about it. Outside of that, the rest of the scene is so ludicrous. No, it's it's so it's, it's ludicrous. But I mean, it's it's a De Palma movie. I'm I'm fine with ludicrous. I yeah. will take that journey to ludicrous as long as it's not incoherent. The Diamond Heist is really good. It's 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 dumb, but it's. It, but as far as a thriller where you see pieces coming together and working and your understanding of what the plan is, um, the way that, that unfolds and everything, that's a very well-done sequence, and I enjoyed it. Um, and then it kept going. The movie kept going. Um, <laughs> basically, I'm so baffled by how anyone could really like this movie, let alone call it the best movie of the past decade. I'm going to go and open the floor uh, to you. Yeah, Peter. Peter. Um, okay. Peter, go ahead and defend this movie for yeah. me. Yeah, take a shot first <laughs> and then go to town because this thing is ludicrous. Yes, it's ludicrous. I have no arg- – I'm not going to argue the part the, – the, the concept of being ludicrous. But as, a, as what Ebert said about you know being an, uh, an example of what pure filmmaking, I think, what, what, that was a quote? Uh, yeah, pure filmmaking, elegant and slippery. Well, I, I'm slippery. not quite sure about the slippery. I'm not sure about the slippery. But He's I mean, focusing it, on the lesbians. I think it's an incredibly stylish film. And we were talking. I was talking about you know a, a movie that's more pure, Brian De Palma, where you know that he that something is completely in his mind. This is a, like 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 blah, one of these things where it's basically like all of his all of his pet obsessions: voyeurism, technology, hot naked women, bizarre plot lines. That, that really don't make it. You don't make a hell of a lot of sense in theory, but make but sort of work when you're when you're just going along watching them. And in this is just sort of like you know like sort of like it hit, hit like a master class in in that and master class in the art of you know his filmmaking style. And I think it's just an absolutely gorgeous, bizarre, funny, twisted. You know, it's a lunatic. I, I give you that. But I I, I, I adore the film. Um, Peter, I'm going to go ahead and ask you. What do you think of the performances in the movie? Well, okay, Rebecca Romaine. I mean, basically, she's supposed to be. She's playing. It seems like she's playing like a different character in like almost every other scene. But that's kind of like what she's what she's supposed to be doing in that movie. So I think she's pretty and looking really good while doing it. I think he's great. I think he does a very good job of doing that. Antonio Banderas. I, you know, he's basically being a big old dope. And <laughs> but the, I mean, the the, the the big performance in the movie is really the one that De Palma does. I mean, this is you know, as we said before, he's not he's not necessarily always an actor's director. In this case, he's basically a bigger star than anyone else in the movie, and I think he does a fabulous job, quite frankly. All right, and then uh, Matt. Matt. This what do you movie think? is so fucking retarded. Like it's <laughs> the idea that someone is confused by this movie. It's so simplistic and stupid, and it's it's not that people are confused because the movie is complicated or their plot is difficult. It's that they're dumbfounded on how fucking stupid this movie is. And that it keeps finding ways to be dumber 
and dumber. It is terrible. <laughs> it's terribly acted. The plot is fucking ludicrous. And I'm the point, I, I mean, on top of it, it makes you feel like you've wasted your fucking time. If I wanted to see a mind fuck of a movie and that's somebody that adores Hitchcock, I'm going to watch fucking Haneke and put in Cachet, which is far better than this fucking movie. This is a pile of shit, an outright steaming pile of shit, and I'm not surprised at all that the French fucking probably lapped this fucker up. <laughs> <laughs> wow, and jingoism, what? You know, and, <laughs> and, and a phobia as well. Bargain. I can, I can go into the scene, like the opening scene that Patrick's in love with and the jewel heist with the crazy fucking Star Wars laser that he cuts yeah. through and... and Twenty feet during the opening the nights during the opening night of the Cannes Film Festival. You, you forget that minor yeah. detail. The security guard that looks at it and kind of glances away and doesn't really realize it and is clearly <laughs> terrible at his job is Brian De Palma's brother. He sucks at his job just like his brother. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Oh God! Okay. Um. Uh. I did. I will say, Matt. I'm with. I'm with you. I spent most of this movie confused. Um, and then I went ahead and I read a bunch of synopsises and reviews and like just trying to figure out, okay, what was that supposed to be? Uh, <laughs> because, uh, you know, uh, and it's like at no point in the movie, and I, I'm sure this is De Palma's point, but it's a horrible thing to do, which is at no point in the movie was I sure what was happening or who was who and or whose relationship with who was what. Um, which is, I guess, something De Palma is getting off on, like, oh, I'm playing with the audience, I'm playing with how they view things and how they're trying to, they can't quite fit this in, despite the fact the story is really simple. But that just means we're not enjoying it. That just means <laughs> that I, I can't enjoy it, because I, I don't know if she's a femme fatale, or if she's even her, or if she's another person with, the, with a horrible wig, or if she's, or if that's Rebecca Romain with a horrible wig, and it's at no point did I know what happening in the story, so at no point was I with it. At no point was I getting any enjoyment. I just... It, it, hey, they said the same thing about Vertigo. It was just... I followed Vertigo very well. No, but back in the day, people were complaining about Vertigo. Vertigo was not you know, regarded as a masterpiece when it first came out. People were saying the exact same thing you're saying now. Yeah. Okay. Here, yeah. They also complained about Hitchcock, and honestly, I think fucking De Palma is how film snobs are doing a do-over for how much they disregarded Hitchcock during his <laughs> career. And to say femme, I mean, to compare femme fatale to Vertigo is laughable. That is fucking ludicrous. This is a terribly made, terribly constructed film, terribly told, terribly acted, and fucking goddamn Antonio Banderas's four-inch <laughs> high heels. So he could be eye level with Rebecca Romain Stamos is ludicrous as well. Okay. <laughs> the entire uh, is ridiculous. Okay, I, we haven't heard from so Jim his yet. Height I don't, is a problem. Yeah, I hold on, hold on, hold on. When he's wearing heels <laughs> higher than hers, it's and they're just free, enjoying they're listening. Turning, I know they're doing canted angles on the frame, so you can't tell that he's standing eight inches higher than her. I mean, it's ludicrous. Um. Okay. If they're, it's oh. it, it's totally Jim, cool, Jim. Because. No, 
You ever say very... you're confused because you're paying more attention to the footwear than the. <laughs> than the, than the, than the because than he's the making it painlessly obvious. Because any detail he wants you to see, he does a fucking hard zoom on, so you don't fucking miss it. He's he's making this film like the audience is retarded, and he's wanking off over it. And the problem is, the audience is smarter than him. Okay, Matt. Matt, hold on. Just Matt. Are uh, allowed to swear? Matt, Peter. Yeah, no, we can swear. It's an explicit. Oh podcast. yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we've been it, it, for a lot. If it wasn't for before, it is now. No, um, it's like, let's go ahead because yeah. Jim's take on it is something with that even confused me almost as much as Femme Fatale. Well, it's it's mainly that I I hear every criticism. I I can I'm not going to argue it because I think it is a ludicrous, implausible, ridiculous, illogical movie that I just find entertaining. I don't know. I mean, and like, but what parts? Please give me details because I cannot understand. I feel it. like it's set up with the opening shot. I, I mean, not the opening shot, but there, there's a moment with Antonio Banderas piecing together all these pictures that he's been taking, and I feel like that's a visual representation. You know, did you know the, the second the second I saw that picture, I wished I was watching that movie, like well. a blowout kind of thriller <laughs> where someone has taken pictures of the whole city and has made sure, like a sure, sure, like enough. I was like, and the, I kept my mind kept going back to that because there was nothing on screen for my mind to go to. Yeah, so I kept thinking back. I'm like, man, that would be a good idea. Why didn't someone do a thriller where like someone's taking and, and before I, and before she gets into the tub. The whole movie is set up from a. I realize maybe it's a lazy way to do it, but the guy on the TV says, you know, if you could change your life and all that shit or whatever, and says so like a new agey kind of thing and talks about dreams. And obviously, spoiler alert, something happens later in the movie that would normally piss me off. I don't know what it is. It's like maybe I like getting jerked off by De Palma. <laughs> I don't. Like, I just find it. Clearly. I find his set pieces interesting. Um, Which set pieces in this besides the diamond heist? Uh, I like yeah, besides the giant both, twenty minute lesbian scene. Both the uh, when you know when that the the woman's killed by well the woman's killed by the truck and then at the end I find that the whole, climax. Yeah, I find that in the middle section where we start off with the split screen and figuring out where Antonio Banderas is shooting from and I I liked following these characters. Um, I don't think the story real con- congeals very well. Uh, and that's okay. I mean, like, I'm maybe I'm just an apologist for this movie. Like, maybe it's one of those cases. Like, yeah, okay, I'm just apologizing for well, De Palma was, for I being so indulgent. I was reading critic quotes about De Palma, and uh, one one positive, one positive. I read a positive review of Mission to Mars, where my favorite quote from that was, uh, "I wish De Palma would stop trying to turn his fans into apologists." Yeah, <laughs> no, and that's that's. That's totally justifiable. Which is what he's doing with this later movie. I don't know. I fucking love Mulholland Drive. And to me, like, this is De Palma's... De Palma's Mulholland Drive, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) No, Ebert Ebert said the same thing. And I don't like Mulholland Drive, but there's nothing in this movie. Ebert's a fucking retard. He's the worst judge of fucking genre films in the goddamn world. Seriously. Like, I I like Ebert as a writer, but when it comes to genre films... He is not to be trusted. He has horrible, he's no horrible taste. He's, <laughs> he's no Rex Reed. Yeah, <laughs> God. Um. Okay. Okay. Uh, I don't Peter, think it's one I'm of his better sure. movies, but I, I Peter, I, I Peter, yes. real quick, justify the striptease scene. Go. <laughs> it's Rebecca Romaine doing a striptease. I mean, do you need more justification? I really do. I really no. do. No, you don't. You really don't. <laughs> He's, Listen, he, he, 
For he's photographing. I don't. I don't mean doing a striptease. Who's using her feminine wiles? Confused Antonio Banderas even more than he's already confused. I don't. I don't mean to be blue, but if I want to masturbate, I'll watch porn. But if I want to watch a movie, I, I, I need things to make sense. I don't care if they're justified. Uh, you know, if the, if they're if the justification and since that's, and since that among, among many other things turns out to be, yeah, as we say in the sport, as in the spoiler, the dream it doesn't have to hang together completely, right? So you, but you still you still think that's a good sequence that should have been in the movie? Yeah. What? I think there's no bad sequences in the movie. <laughs> I don't know what about to, that. Like it's like arguing. It's like arguing. You are delusional. Who speaks in a different <laughs> language? <laughs> I hope I wake up hey, on this podcast. Mad once upon a time. There are a lot of film critics that I respect that love Femme Fatale. Um, I would not put it on my top ten list of the year, but I certainly had a good time watching it. And mostly, it's because almost like with like even the worst How, Sam okay. Raimi movie, I love the camera work. And maybe a, it's just you know that what, one you know, thing. You know what that is really cool. You know what really kills Femme Fatale <laughs> for me more than more than the fact that it makes no sense, more than the fact that it's incoherent. More than any of that, you know what really kills it for me? Hmm. It's not trashy enough. It's not. It's so dull. It's so dry. It's not body double. I know. It's not body double. It's not dressed to kill. Like, right. those movies are fucking retarded and insane, but they're really fun. This movie, like, is not fun for me. And you say fun, like, like ah, there's no fun parts in this movie. It's, it's like, it's, it's like just really long uh, driving scenes and then, like, like everything is blue in the hotel, and then she is in a in like someone else's bed for like twenty minutes, like staring at a bath for twenty minutes. Like it's hmm. it's not it's so dry. Like it doesn't feel oh. like De Palma having fun. It feels like De Palma trying to do something, and the fact that it doesn't really add up to anything is like kills it. No, it's De Palma rubbing your nose in shit. I mean, that is literally what the movie is. I am going to prove to you, and I'm going to prove I'm better than you, and that w- the reason you don't like me is wrong. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And he's being, you know, he's cranking his own style up, and it's just, it's horrible to watch. Oh, it's t- such a terrible film. All right. I am uh, I really want to go through the rest of his filmography. Yeah, we're excited about that. This is, this is, I'm going to... Uh, <laughs> I have not seen any of his movies before, Sisters. Uh, um, Matt, have you? Uh, yes, I don't believe so. I got to Oh wait, I thought, check I thought you did. Quick. That's Get to Know Your Rabbit, Hi Mom, Dion, oh, yeah, Dionysus, heard. Wedding Party. No, I've, I ever see um, Wedding Party and uh, the Hi Mom. I, re- yeah, I want to yeah. see both of them. Hi Mom is Hi Mom is really good. Okay. Hi Mom and Green. Those are basically. Um, you said that about. Hi Mom and Green. Those aren't those aren't thrillers or suspense films anyway. They're sort of like uh like kind of like they underground comedies. So, uh, they're sort of like uh, they're, they're more comedies than anything. It's like political satire from like the late sixties and all that. Um, both are very, inter- both are very interesting. Speak for all. There you go. Honestly, and, honestly, Matt, I think those movies might be refreshing just because Brian De Palma had not yet gotten high on his own supply. You know, at this point, he's no, still. I, I I have found the earlier De Palma films to be more interesting because they're not as they're not as in your face and self-aggrandizing as his later films become. Right. Okay, Sisters, uh, very Ugh. fun, delirious, again incoherent. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I love I like the I like the dream sequence. Uh, I think the dream sequence 
where she assumes the role of her twin sister. Again, very confusing. I didn't know if she was supposed to be the twin or if this was just part of the dream. Um, like, and it's and it's one of those things that makes me like not trust De Palma <laughs> when he's leading you out there because well, because that's I always, okay. If I always that's... feel like he's gonna like I don't trust him to catch up with the, all the plot holes yeah. and stuff. But I mean, there's a lot of Freudian elements to I it. I think that split. So... I think the split screen se- sequence of of is really well done. I think that's definitely the highlight of the movie. The split screen sequence of the disposal of the body yeah. with her arguing. I like with... the whole the whole you know the opening the the whole opening game show parody. I think it's funny. Then yes. the, the whole thing up to um, the you know the, the guy getting attacked. I think that that entire that whole thing is brilliantly done. This way, it, like slowly sure. sets up everything, and then. You know, guess when we least expected. Wham! Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, everything, and it, yeah, everything up to that. And again, it's more of the psycho thing where, well, now we're left without a protagonist because the person we thought was a protagonist is now the antagonist, and now, mm-hmm. uh, and then it, there's of course references to rear window and rope in that they hide <laughs> the body in plain sight in the couch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that the whole thing with the with, at the very end with the couch and Where's Charles this, Durning I'm, he's just like <laughs> hey, stay, hanging up there for like eternity just, waiting for someone to pick up the couch yeah I, I laughed out loud at that ending <laughs> so Sisters is fun uh, Matt any no <laughs> okay that'll be his review from here on out alright it is Sisters is Oh, it's it, it might be my least favorite De Palma film. That really the dream sequence is terrible. Oh, I it love is it. It's so bad. Yeah. Like I liked it when it was recreated in fucking Happy Gilmore in color, but it, I mean that's what it is. It's, <laughs> it's, it's not at all. Cliche. Okay, so, oh, so, 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 so is, you don't like De Palma, so but you like the Happy Gilmore. Okay, no, that's honestly yeah, because Happy Gilmore is mocking that idea of this pretentious dream sequence, ah. but <laughs> Sisters is taking itself way too seriously i mean that thing is stupid and it's hammering home its themes and hammering home its points i'm sorry i thought the plot was super easy to follow because the palma once again is spoon feeding the audience because he thinks they're morons and now, i just watched it. was that the one with the, where he was a wacky golfer or the wacky kid who had the like the one where he's that's that, a wacky yeah, that's where he's the golfer wacky. Oh, yeah. and then when <laughs> and then his, his friend dies and he has the yeah. whole dream sequence with the midget Climbing, hopping around on his fake little horse and yeah, all that no, crap. Which, that was that was. A, if anything, that was a Twin Peaks. Uh, it could be Twin Peaks too, but you know what? Lynch has his own issues. Yeah. But uh, we're not going there. Uh, <laughs> okay, I like well, Lynch l- way listen, more than De Palma. We do got to keep. We do got to. I actually. It's okay. We're doing okay. We do got to keep going. Phantom of the Paradise. I love the music. I really I can't remember the names of the songs, but the first sort of concert that opens the Paradise Club, yeah, where they're the where they old have fifties sort of pops. No, 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 yeah. that's that's the opening of the movie. I'm right. talking about the the sort of shock rock Alice Cooper oh, with thing. Beef, where yeah. they yeah, with, with beef, beef, where they're stabbing the people mm-hmm. and taking yeah. parts of the body. Like that's so much fun. It's and amazing. That's, and I like them. And if you like the music, it's it's great. It, it's it's more like Paul the, Williams at his best. Yeah. Um. Clearly, the best scene is uh the mangled voice of the phantom singing and then through various knobs being turned, his voice turns beautiful. That, that yeah. sequence is brilliant. Um, That's how I imagine the Moog keyboard being made. Yeah. <laughs> and again, it's it's ahead of its time in that way where like right. Beef was basically doing punk rock. rock. 
right. punk rock, I'd say, because he's screaming. No, 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 yeah. no, he's, no, he's, he's basically like a, like a goof on, on like the, the, the glam rock and stuff. Like, he's supposed to be more like Alice Cooper than, although, you know, in, in hindsight, it looks more like punk rock, but sure. he's supposed to be like a joke on like yeah. Alice Cooper or Kiss and stuff like that. And it's, it's, it's so dumb and silly. Like, you can tell even Brian De Palma's not taking himself seriously. Uh, and I like it. Yeah. Um, Matt, no, that's yeah. the movie that, frankly, Rocky Horror should have been. Quite yes, frankly. yes, that's how I felt, too. Uh, Matt. Let uh, me guess, I thought it was it. shit. Yes. Oh, you haven't no, seen it? I haven't it. seen it. All right, Obsession. No, had, next, one, next one for him I would have seen would have been a carry. Okay, Obsession, I have not seen. I have not seen. Obsession, it's okay. It's not one of his best ones. It was written by Paul Schrader, and it's, frankly, a blatant out-and-out copy of Vertigo. And it's... Okay, but it's not. It's what, not an un- what an unusual stuff. thing for De Palma to do. Well, <laughs> but this was easier back in the day when you didn't have access to, to, to video, and that you, and people couldn't tell that immediately. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, it's, it's okay, but it's not one of his. It's not one of his. All best right. Films. That's now that same year, Carrie. We've talked about this uh, a little bit, but I think it's just sort of a perfect marriage of material and artist where. <clears throat> Number one, melodrama works better in high schools because the yes. naturally melodramatic people. Um, and of course, so are you know super weird uptight Christian moms and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think all of the performances, especially Sissy Spacek, who feels like she's almost doing like David Bowie in Man from Man Who Fell to Earth. Like she's like an alien. Yeah. Like I watched that. I, I, I that was one of the few movies I'd seen before that I also rewatched, and she felt just like an alien mm-hmm. um, the whole time. And it's her eyes are insane, and and of course the whole. Everything involving the prom is, like, some of the most heartbreaking thing I've ever seen. In se- Every goddamn time I watch it, I want it to come true. I'm like, yeah. no! No! Just let this happen! And then, <laughs> like, <laughs> she's having such a good time, and she's pretty good, and people are accepting her. And it's... And he, the way he tortures you, or he tortures you with this sort of fantasy dream sequence in which she's having a wonderful time. Oh, and yeah. then of course, and then of course, like the it all goes to hell. Yeah, and that in that like what most must only be like two to three minutes of quote unquote of like actual story time mm-hmm. is stretched out into like this huge ten minute sequence, uh, where you know the the twenty seconds where she walks up to the stage takes up half of the time. Right, uh, love that it builds so effectively. Yeah, and. The Christ imagery is pretty awesome. <laughs> That's the grossest, weirdest Christ I've ever I seen. I know. With the big I, eyes, it's, glow yeah, in the dark eyes. This is eyes. one of the, the best horror movies, I think. So, this is, and, and this would, and, the, and I just want to say that, like, you know, this movie is pretty much responsible for something like May. And oh, May, yeah, no, May, no, without a doubt. May is one of my favorite movies. And I mean, he cast Angela Bettis because right. he saw her in the TV remake of Carrie. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So... Um, Matt and Matt, you 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 said you like this movie a lot. Wow, uh, which one? Carrie. Carrie. <laughs> oh yeah, Carrie. Uh, I do. Yeah, I do like it quite a bit. I, uh, but yeah, I don't have a ton. I'm gonna say about it. I right. don't think it's. I don't think it's like saying some transcended piece, but I think it's definitely a very good movie. I think it's by far one of the better Stephen King a- adaptations oh, out yeah. there. Yeah, yeah um, definitely. In fact, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think it's an okay book. I, th- I think it's definitely a far better film than it is a book. Yeah. Um, and I will definitely give him credit for that. He did a great job with, with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a solid film. I, I enjoy watching it. It's probably one of the few I've seen multiple times, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't mind watching again. 
Now, The Fury, I started to watch, but last night uh, was too sleepy. Um, I haven't seen it in years, and I don't remember too much about it other than maybe a head exploding. It, it felt oh, like John, it, no, John Cassavetes exploding. Oh, right, yeah. He, if, he, he, yeah I was getting mostly, confused with scanners. It mostly <laughs> felt like... No, it mostly felt like scanners it's to me. Carrie only with two <clears throat> wacky telekinetic kids instead of one, and Kirk Douglas gnashing his teeth and John Cassavetes gnashing everything. Um, it's basically... it's it, it, If ever there was a movie where it was just like Brian De Palma just deciding, okay... I don't have a story. I have a bunch of like, you know, big wacky, you know, big gross set pieces with as little with it. it, it it's like a, like a hit parade of Brian De Palma's, you know, set pieces and all that. So it's fun. It's again, it's not it's it's not one of his more essential films. No. But if you don't like John Cassavetes, you'll love the ending of it just to see him explode six different ways a Sunday. Yes, that's yeah, that's what I remember so from it. For that, <laughs> for, so I like it if only for that because I'm not a big Cassavetes fan. It's no so. fire starter. It felt so, it no. felt sort of like. <laughs> It felt a lot like Scanners to me in the in the yeah, bit but, I saw. But it's, it's yeah. like the, like the sequence in, in, at the old Chicago amusement park where they he, you know the kid sends one of the rides flying off its hinges. Um, I mean, it's like really there's like a, a nighttime chase along the the, the uh, around Lake Michigan that's really fun because it's filmed in Chicago. Right. Um, it's, so it's it, it's fun, but it's 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 really it's it's pretty dumb and non essential, but still kind of it's still yeah. It has. Mo- I remember it having moments, but it felt too long when I when I watched it. Yeah. 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 Um, now, home movies, which I really don't know. That's a, like a sort of an experiment he did, where he used all like college. Yeah, uh, he was teaching a class at Sarah Lawrence, and they his class made that movie as, as like a their cl- as like a class project, and they brought in like Kirk Douglas and uh, Keith Gordon. I think that was like one of his very his first films. Oh yeah, um, to, as like the, the the Hollywood contingent, and it's um, it, it's closer it's closer to like his earlier his earlier movies the one of the comedies and all that it's about uh something about like a, like Keith Gordon is like this this young filmmaker who's following around Kirk Douglas is like this old movie star like preaching about embracing the celebrity of yourself and it's 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 more interesting as an experiment than as a movie quite frankly yeah uh, dressed to kill which is uh, basically his psycho remake um, basically <laughs> it's I mean it's <laughs> yeah. I mean, Gus Van Zandt. Unapologetically. When, when compared to yeah. the other Psycho remake, it hardly right. feels like a remake at all, but I it's was, clearly a... I was listening to um, uh, an interview with John Landis, and John Landis had lunch with Hitchcock at one point, and Hitchcock had seen Dress to Kill. And what do you say? He was fucking pissed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I um, love the idea that Hitchcock hates De Palma. Yes. Not because I hate De Palma, well, he was, but he just because I like the he idea. He was of, sick of hearing it was Hitchcocky, and it was Hitchcockian, and... And he just didn't feel like it was an homage, but just a complete Well, well part of the thing was, I think at, at the time, like I think the ads for the movie were even were even saying it was like you know the from the modern master of suspense. I think that's what was really pissing him off. Yeah, was the fact that they were that they were like you know really doing that. I mean, Dress to Kill, I I, I, I enjoy a lot as well. Because um, I mean, there's like scenes there that are as good as like the, the museum. Yes, sequence. I was oh, gonna yeah. I was gonna say uh-huh. that yeah. sequence is wonderful. It's yes. one of the best, you know, one of the best sequences he's ever done. Yes, um, I like the fact that he doesn't got, rely on dialogue. I like stuff, that he's, I mean, he has a lot of silent moments. Yeah, that yeah. whole like that whole museum. That's like about like twenty, nearly thirty minutes of the movie without any dialogue. Yeah. Um, and that you know the, the and the the, the Pino Donaggio score on top of it. I mean, it, it's, it's got some incredible stuff in it. Definitely, uh, Matt. Have you seen Dress to Kill? Uh, I have, but not since before I could watch porn. Okay. <laughs> 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 
So horn and swear words. Those are your those are your your, your touchstones for the evening. I'm guessing. Well, sure. He, he's, I think he's all. No, 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 I think he's offering them as alternatives. Like I, said, I known about the swearing. I would have. I would have. I would have prepared some stuff. I, uh, oh, yeah, I, I think he's offering porn as an alternative to say the yeah. uh, ludicrous opening. Monte Carlo is my favorite movie. I think he's cursed enough at me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I saw Monte Carlo. Blowout. And I did not. So once again, who has better taste? Oh, there you go. Okay. Uh, and was well paid. All right, too. Matt. I really want to hear. I really want to hear you yell at Scarface for like thirty seconds. I, I fucking hate this movie. I hate it, and I hate that it's invaded popular culture to the degree that it has. Because it's a stupid fucking movie. It's a bad remake, and. I I got I haven't gotten angry at this movie in years. It's not worth my time. It's fucking stupid. It is it is like kind of baffling that just through the sheer will of hip hop, this movie is now regarded as a classic, despite yeah. the fact that everyone hated this movie when it came out. Right. Like it like it, was... it's, it is the classic example of groupthink that people thought that this was good for whatever reason and now it has become this classic i mean it's getting this giant fucking national blu-ray release and playing and re- released in theaters and it's did you like, see did you see the box set um no that, there is a uh, is i believe a cocaine no no no, it's, no. it's almost expensive enough to no it's, it's, it's like 800 dollars or something and it comes in a humidor that that's, okay, fine. I'll yeah. I'll grant it that. That's classic. <laughs> it's it's like who would spend that? I really I, like Scarface because it's fucking long, but I still no. Like it's it. too way yeah, too long. Yeah. But I think that I wish De Palma and Oliver Stone work together more because I think they have about the same regard for subtlety. Right. I think <laughs> that I think I think that most I think Oliver period. Stone actually got a lot of what he does from De Palma. And I, I mean, I don't think that's a good thing. I think Oliver Stone's pretty bad usually, um, but I think Oliver Stone as a writer and De Palma as a director fits perfectly. And of course, Al Pacino's horrible, over-the-top performance fits yeah. fits that. You know, like it is a perfect example of everything gelling together. And of course, the thing it gels in together is gross and hateful and Nihilistic. violent and nasty. But <laughs> um, I enjoy it on those terms. It's a horrible movie. Oh, and I do want to say one thing. Um, I, people need to... Yeah, it's, there's, there's like some static. All right, it's gone. Okay, I want to say one thing. People need to stop <laughs> saying that rappers don't get star- Scarface. Um, it's a bad movie, and they may not get that it's a bad movie, but rappers get Scarface. Like, people are like, oh, they think Scarface is so cool, but he's actually a horrible person, and then he dies at the end. Like, they get that. That's part of the... That's part of hip-hop, is... The fact that you turn yourself into think, a horrible I person. Think when he, I think when he like, gets blown away, you know, I, I think when he got like he was doing more cocaine than Bolivia in the last scene before killing his <laughs> sister and then, you know, getting blown apart by the rocket launcher. I think, you know, at that point they kind of get that, ooh, maybe maybe we're not supposed to admire him that much. Well, I, I, I love, I, I liked the movie when it first came out, quite frankly, and there were a couple people who, I mean, granted, yeah, when it first came out, it got trounced by practically, I think Ebert gave it a rave review, and I think uh, that was probably about it. Um, the, the the whole sort of like you know hip hop renaissance around I I I am not too sure about, but I I've always loved the movie just simply because it is so over the top. Because I mean, if you're gonna make a movie about a a, a crazed Cuban drug lord who eventually goes over the top and is, has to be is too crazy even for 
you know, cu- you know, Cuban drug dealers to deal with. And you don't want like the quiet, restrained version. You want mm-hmm. the over the top, well, grand opera version. I, yeah, why not? I think you. I think. I think. I think you can make arguments for both. And well, I think <laughs> I, I, maybe you could think of it in the, in the in the way that Scorsese interpreted the movie as he was watching it. He turned to the producer and said, "This is great, but be prepared because they're going to hate it in Hollywood because it's about them." <laughs> like that's oh that's De Palma and Stone. Yeah, as, as Stone's doing lines off some hooker's tits in the background well, sure. while he's saying that. I mean, That's, Jesus. And, like, you know, he, he probably did fucking tons of LSD for when he did Natural Born Killers. And, yeah. you know. Body double, very fun. Uh, yes. from, right from the beginning, it does not take itself seriously at all. Yes. I love the, the drill through the ceiling. I love this the, is his rear window with well, lots of. I mean, pretty much like half his movies are his rear window. Yeah. Which is also him, you know, having gone through like all the controversy with with Scarface because he had to go like he had to like go with he was like fighting the ratings board on that one and everyone's talking about oh it's the most disgusting violent movie ever made oh it's so depraved how could anyone watch anything so filthy and violent and repellent and this and body double sort of like is okay you, you, you want to make a movie that, you want to see movies really about you know something to depra- you know depraved and, and and gross and he's basically like having fun with all that with with, with yeah, body double sure. i think the movie's a blast because of it and i and i you know millie i'd like millie griffith is, is hilarious in that movie quite frankly and greg is it greg henry uh, the bad guy yeah 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 greg wasson that's never a good sign, though, when <laughs> when your lead is Craig Lawson. Um, oh, my God. He's not good, but... He was in Nightmare on Elm Street 3. <laughs> yeah, he was. He yeah. was in Nightmare on well, Elm Street 3 and, and Ghost Story. Uh, he's not good. There you go. But, um, but uh, I, the moment where they tear off the Indian makeup and it's fucking Greg Henry under it, it's like, oh, that's so great. That's so retarded and wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> like... I love that it goes there and then it does not take itself seriously. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it did take me a bit because this is this is where I started off early. Mm-hmm. This is sort of one of the earlier movies I watched, um, and it did it did take me a bit to realize that that like all of the parts where I was laughing at the movie, I was supposed to be laughing at the movie. Yeah. Because I was like, yeah. this is this is so dumb. And then about halfway through, I'm like. Oh, this is so dumb! Like, yeah. <laughs> I sort of flipped. No, it's it. kind of like raising Kane in the sense that it's it's De Palma clearly, you know, playing, you know, you know, well, you know, having fun with what you know with what he does. I am laughing a lot. I have my problems with raising Kane. I have. I'm laughing a lot during that. Matt, one. <laughs> have you seen Matt? Have you seen Body Double? Uh, I have, but it's been so long ago. I barely remember a damn thing. Like, I probably saw it on video back sometime in the eighties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Wise Guys. I didn't bother with. It's sort of a nothing comedy. From what I gather, yeah, pretty much. It's yeah, it, it, it's not. It's got some. It's got some funny stuff, but again, probably one of his less essential. Yeah, things. it's pretty forgettable. From one. Yeah. All right, I want to go it, right. It, and it largely depends on on how much you can tolerate Joe Piscopo in a leading role. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's probably why I never saw. I never bothered. And, and like Captain, Captain Lou Albano was one of the main supporting actors, and actually, he's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought it was weird that. I thought it was weird that at one point Captain Lou Albano peeked through a girl's window and saw her doing the Mario. I was like, that's not Brian Palma. <laughs> um, that was in 86. I think that was before the, right. there was the Mario. Anyway. The next one is interesting. The next one, I feel like, uh, I mean, I'm sure Matt will probably agree with me, but I feel like I'm one of the only people who really hate this movie. It's certainly one of my least favorite De Palma movies, The Untouchables. Interesting. Um, yeah, it's not, it's not good. I, it's, here's, 
I I think like number one, people go, oh well, it's it's not a you know it's not supposed to be a procedural. It's supposed to be grand and operatic. And I'm like, that's the exact wrong approach for this story. It's you don't get a sense of who anyone is. You don't get a sense of, and it's not the kind of story because it's fucking bootlegging. Like no one in the audience gives a shit about what Capone is doing. Like no one is like, oh no, oh my god, Capone's bootlegging. That's horrible. Like, like the only reason there was violence is because fucking you know alcohol is illegal. If you know, like yeah. the only reason he's killing all these people is because he you know because it's been made illegal. So. You have this sort of guy doing things that no one in the audience actually cares about, and then like hitting people with baseball bats. Well, no, I'm saying I'm saying uh, he number one, it's he's not in it that much. But number two, it, it's it's like him taking the okay. Number one, before Mamet quote unquote came out as a conservative, this movie should have tipped everyone off because this is the most like blazingly conservative, uh, like might makes right fascist kind of movie like i've seen since something you know uh, like dirty harry or something like this is up there with those conservative movies where it's just it's just like well uh, we got we should do some police work and it's like ah fuck that pussy shit let's just kill them all they're <laughs> selling rum like, and then shoot the co- and then shoot the corpse for good measure yeah, yeah and then it's and it's like well because it's because it's against the law they deserve to die like it's mm-hmm. it's the most insane uh, approach to it, and I think Kevin Costner is horrible. I think the music is. Oh, I didn't really get to mention this, but um, b- mostly because I couldn't even notice the music in uh, in Femme Fatale because I was too busy being annoyed by everything else, and because the mu- music in Blood isn't bad. But Brian De Palma's use of music annoys the shit out of me. Like I've I've stated before on this podcast that I prefer less. I think the less score, the better. Normally. Um, and Brian De Palma almost like never lets anything play out without music, especially in Untouchables, just blaring under it. Yeah, well, everything about his style is in your face and over the top, and that includes the music. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, Untouchables is something I, w- I wish I could have rewatched because I don't think I, I haven't seen it since I saw it on VHS years and years and years ago. I remember mm, thought thinking it was fine, like I wasn't blown away by it, but I didn't hate it. Um, it also. I mean, maybe this is just because the way De Palma directs actors doesn't yeah. feel like a mammoth script at all. Hmm. Well, that's just that's another reason why I, I want to rewatch it too because I'm such a mammoth fan. You should rewatch and, it before we do the mammoth episode. Well, yeah, yeah, I definitely um, will. No, because I'm very curious. Matt, about it. Matt, how do you feel about Untouchables? Um, I, I don't think it's one of his worst films. I just don't. I don't think it's a very good film that I don't have a whole lot of attachment to. I think it's. Sure. I agree a lot with the whole concept that it's straight up. You know this this um, republicanism of straight up violence makes right, and that's the way you solve everything is kind of ludicrous and over the top. The Odessa step sequence that's completely lifted drives me nuts. I think <laughs> it's is... a painfully bad scene. It looked like he was um, trying to maybe do a similar thing, like he didn't carry where he slowed down time where she's walking yeah. up, but like instead of being really tense, it just I just wanted it to happen. Well, part of that is because we go to the actual Union Station, you go to that actual staircase, and you try to have an actual gunfight on that actual staircase, it's going to be over in three and a half seconds, because this, you know the staircase itself is not that big. Well, it'll be three and a half exciting seconds compared to ten annoying minutes. Yeah, it's... <laughs> I don't know. It's another one of those movies that I just I don't think is very good, and I don't understand why it's 
be it's been lauded the way that it has. I it's just not a good movie. That is yeah, that baffles me <laughs> that it is sort of has a very big reputation. Um I don't know why. See, I've always I've always enjoyed a lot. Um I think of, of it's one of the, my favorite ones of the ones that he's done with there that where he's clearly he's working with someone else's material cuz obviously, you know, I don't think Brian De Palma woke up one morning and said, "God, I really really want to make a movie version of The Untouchables." Yeah, it's more it's basically Tim Friend not instead of doing like Alfred Hitchcock working in the vein of Alfred Hitchcock, it's him working more in the vein of someone like John Ford. And I think it works I think it works wonderfully. I think uh yeah, Kevin Costner, I, you know, everyone says oh Costner's a drip in that movie. But the problem is you you got Costner in the middle of, you know, Sean Connery being colorful as all hell and Robert De Niro being colorful as all hell. So unless you're like going completely over the top, you're going to get you're going to look like the boring guy. No, there's and a way Ness is the boring guy in the movie. There's but, a way to be quiet and compelling. There are like I think you know I don't think he's bad in the movie. I, I mean, think I mean you want to talk about, you know, John Travolta's not you know, John Travolta's not crazy over the top in Blowout, but no. he's a compelling person to watch. Kevin yeah. Costner's not compelling at all to watch. Sometimes when actors are a bit too stoic, I brought that up in the last podcast, it, it sort of irks me, and I could see Kevin Costner falling into that. Well, here. apparently he fought with De Palma about, like, Costner wanted to do it differently, mm-hmm. but De Palma won out like he wanted. He goes, no, I want you to be like a Boy Scout, like really, I guess, bland. That's <laughs> <laughs> what he was going for. But... Uh, and then, like the mam, and like the mammoth script, you're talking about, like you know, he, 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 he mammoth's always had kind of a conservative streak in him, you know, in terms of like if you see a movie like Spartan or something like that, um, where you know he's always had a well, he did like a, this one TV program a few years ago, uh, Unit, the Unit, yeah, Unit, yeah, where you know, the, the, so he, you know, so there's always been that, that that kind of thing. But what's great about the 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 Untouchables is it got like you know these you know like almost like you know every great mammoth screenplay these incredible bits of dialogue like you know Capone's speech you know the, the baseball speech or pretty much everything Sean Connery says and it's just like a blast to listen to I mean it's it's one of my favorite screenplays for Andy Palmer movie frankly mm-hmm. I, I I don't know I felt yeah. pretty like and by the numbers. you know it, it's it, it's one in, in terms of just like putting Chicago on the screen I think it, it, it's one of the, the top movies in that regard too that's something I remember my dad pointing out that. It, it really captured Chicago. In the I very... wonder if that's why everyone I seem to know loves it. Yeah, like the same reason. Be, for the same reason, like you know, if you if you were a kid and when like when the Blues Brothers, was going yeah, on, you know, everyone Chicago. in this fucking town is obsessed with Blues Brothers, and I I don't. I'm like not that one movie. of them. Yeah, <laughs> I don't even like Ferris Bueller. So, well, I'm... Ferris Bueller's a terrible movie. So. All right, good. Anyway, <clears throat> another super controversial Casualties of War, which I thought was pretty good. Yeah, De Palma saw a Platoon and went, hmm. Yeah, maybe I should do a war movie. <laughs> and I think this. Well, is... he's been trying to do that movie for like at least a decade before that. And the only yeah. reason he got to do that then was because the Untouchables made a kajillion dollars a month. You know, killed jillion dollars. So they said, "What do you want to do?" And then he finally had the you know the power to get that movie done. So that you know, so he'd been planning that for at least a decade beforehand. And I think one of the reasons that movie was more tolerable for me was because just because of the subject matter, like sure. De Palma would never have done it in a typical De Palma way. Right. Uh, it's a very visceral movie. And I'm, like, you know what I'm really glad? I, I I'm glad he didn't have a little voyeurism scene where Michael J. Fox is watching the girl get raped. Because I was legitimately afraid for that. No, he turns away. Yeah. And, and you don't see the girl really getting raped. It's, yeah, the, the the dynamic between Sean Penn and, and Michael J. Fox really makes this movie special to me. The, the performances are excellent. John C. Riley's and well, this, you were uh, but you were telling me beforehand that everyone's like over the top and cheesy, and I I didn't find that to be the case. But no. you, despite the fact that 
like a lot of people told me that they go, oh, this in, movie, everyone's th- histrionic and yeah, no, I think in my mind, I'm I'm sort of remembering it differently, um, but upon a rewatch, I, I I found this to be one of the better De Palma movies, a lot more restrained. Uh, the story was told in a very traditional way. The only thing I, the only <laughs> By thing I don't the way, like, I do want to point out, saying it's one of the better De Palma movies, it's a lot more distrained, is basically saying it's one of the better De Palma movies because it's not so much like a De Palma movie. Yeah, it, it, because it's more like a Norman <laughs> Jewison film. <Yeah. laughs> hey, Matt, what do you think of uh, Casualties of War? Uh, I actually not, had never saw it. I do remember like what a big deal it was made of when it was first being made, almost specifically because of how Michael J. Fox was trying so hard to no longer be Alex P. Keaton. Right. Um, but outside of that, like, I've never seen it, and I don't really... Okay. I, I've never really been drawn to it, because I don't really care. Right. No, <laughs> it's, it's not a must-see. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, it just... It's never struck me as one of the De Palma films that I should try to track down, for, for a lot of the same reasons. I, it's not... It's ne- I've never really heard it as being like this kind of quintessential De Palma film, which means maybe I will like it more. Than yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> you, you probably will. Uh, now, have you seen Bonfire of the Vanities? I have. Well, That's a pile of shit. <laughs> <laughs> I you like hear me on Casualties of War. No, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I thought you... you liked it. We've, we've no. Got it. <laughs> I Actually, it's, it's probably my, my least favorite De Palma movie. Oddly enough. Yeah. Um, I just think it, it just seems like it's one of those movies like. Um, where every director has like some movie where they've tried years and years to get it made, and they've struggled so hard to get it made, and then when they finally get it made, the problem is it seems like they've made it so many times in their head already that by the time they get it on film, it just seems like there's a certain energy loss. Huh. And I just think that's a problem with, with Casualties of War. It, it just, yeah. it, I mean, well, it's, it's, it's well-intentioned, it's well-acted, but it just doesn't do anything for me. And then there's that bookend thing where... Yeah. You know the, the the girl who who's raped and murdered symbolically. You know re, re, returns at the end to like you know absolve Michael J. Fox of his sins of, of everyone's sins in Vietnam, and at, that that just hate I just hated that 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 framework just so much that it, it just like, yeah. whatever you know lingering effect I might have had for this one was just killed by that. So yeah. no, I that's like actually one of the few that I really don't like, and and it seems odd because that's like the one where like uh, people who don't like the Palma's usual style. They'll say, okay, that's a good movie because, you know, because, like, as you said, because he's not, it's not a quintessential of the Palma thing. And for me, it just doesn't work. Sort of like how people who don't like anime like Cowboy Bebop because it's not yeah. very much like anime. It's like, it's like someone saying, well, you know, I don't like prose poetry, but, you know, this one's really good. Right. And you just want to, like, you know, run for the hills. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, Bonfire of the Vanities, I think, is a really enjoyable uh, farce, like, comedy farce that's lightly satirical and. I think the problem is the it cast. is based. No, no. I think the cast is all right. I think Tom Hanks is pretty, pretty horrible, uh, and I think Bruce Willis is even worse. <laughs> but I think everyone else is pretty good. I think um, Morgan Freeman's actually really good. I think the problem is it is based off a book that is fucking incredible and fucking scathing, and hmm. just it's like it's like Brian De Palma had this opportunity to make this insane. It's a big budget, huge cast of. Well, of name actors, and you know, it's it's it, it's epic and in scale, it's impressive. And basically, what it is is the exactly what you would picture a Hollywood version. Like whenever they do parodies, uh, like in and they're like, oh yeah, they did the Hollywood adapted uh, Othello. They cut out all the race stuff, you know, like yeah. Well, basically, with the, the main problem with with Bond with Bonfire of the Vanities is the fact that the book the book, as I agree, is an incredible book. But the problem is the reason the book is so incredible 
is not necessarily because of the story, but because of Tom Wolfe's voice. And right. that, that part you can't really get across. You know, Pro- it doesn't come across in cinematic and it's, terms. So. It's, a, it's the same problem that, you know, uh, it's the same problem I have with, say, uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, or even like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where they're widely beloved, you know, anticipated adaptation of the books, but yeah, what makes the book so good is the voice right. and not the... Yeah, right. so but, so if you look at Bonfire Levanis, it's sort of like uh, an expensive version of like those early movies like Breedings or High Mom, which is actually thematically it's probably closer to than anything else he's done. It's oh, it's sort of okay. I mean, there's some uh, like Morgan Freeman's speech at the end is terrible and sort and it's like the 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 key sort of thing was like you know the Hollywood you know making sure everyone comes out feeling good at the end. Yeah. Um, hmm. but as an adaptation of the book, it's terrible. But as sort of like a a, 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 a a light sight satire on race relations at the time, it's okay, but you know, not really worth the effort, quite I, frankly. I, I think it has a better opening shot than Snake Eyes. Oh no, the opening shot the opening shots are incredible. Oh yeah, the, the the whole opening with Bruce Willis. No, That's, no, it's got it's remember. got a couple of amazing technical scenes, but yeah. it, the the movie as a whole just doesn't work. Oh. and especially coming from the you know such incredible source material. Oh, it also, just comes up the, one of the worst performances I've ever seen in any movie is Kim Cattrall in this movie. Well, Kim Cattrall or in any movie. No, 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 no. no. You Except don't understand. For limits, of course. No. Kim Cattrall in this movie, like, at first I thought she was blind because she is so, like, not interacting with anybody. Like, I thought her character was blind. I'm like, well, that was an interesting choice to make his wife blind. Like, no, she's just vacant. She's just a vacant person. Oh, Hmm. man. Raising Cain, I think, is up there with Plan 9 from Outer Space and The Room as one of the worst movies ever made. I don't know why uh, De Palma decided to make a movie with no first act. Uh, It's second and third act only. It's fucking irritating and absurd, and there's, like, flashbacks within flashbacks, and at no point, like Femme Fatale, I felt like at no point did I ever have a grasp on what was going on. Um, un- but unlike Femme Fatale, it has, like, wacky, crazy uh, um, John Lithgow. Lithgow. So, yeah. yeah. That's the main reason to see it. But I really do sincerely think this is one of the worst movies ever made. No, like, it's absurd, but I, I I enjoy the hell out of it. It's because it, 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 it's like I said, it's completely insane. But you know, uh, Lithgow is great. Just the fact that De Palma is clearly trying to like you know do to, do the screwiest thing possible, sort of like you know to get out of you know out having kind of like crapped out with you know casualties of war bombing and then bonfire really bombing, just sort of like you know make you know basically doing something that's making fun of himself at that point. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, and I, then I, raising Kane bombs. <laughs> Well, yeah, but well, Raising King didn't bomb on the scale of, say, Bonfire of Vanities, which everyone was expecting to be, like, this massive, yeah. you know, billion-dollar By the way, I, I can't remember the title, but there's a book. Um, the people – someone was given access to the pre-production Oh, post- Devil's Candy. Devil's Candy. Mm, uh, yeah, which is a much better book than the movie yeah. turned out to be. Uh, I highly recommend that book. Hmm. I got to read part of it. I haven't finished it. But uh, my friend Brendan, who was on for Peter Weir and will be on for David Mamet, he recommended it to me. Excellent book. So uh, um, Carlito's Way, I think, is a very kind of a dry movie. And I think Pacino's all right. I think it's mostly just one note hit again and again and again and again and again. So it's it's too long. I think Sean Penn's, despite I, – I almost thought Sean Penn was like doing Jewish blackface. Like it literally – Oh, he's got the Jufros. Yeah, yeah, no, and it like – from the voice and everything, but he John Penn. Sean Penn's really good in it. Like it's not a character yeah. that you would think is in Sean Penn's stock, mm-hmm. um, and it's uh, he's good in it. Uh, the sequence in the pool hall is good. 
And then everything mm-hmm. else is whatever. I don't give a shit. The grand, the grand central sequence at the end—that's whatever. Yeah, pretty much. That's the good. whole last, the whole last twenty twenty five minutes is that, that's an incredible bit of sustained filmmaking. Uh, Carlito's wife—I I think I probably, if I had to put go between that and Scarface, I might almost give it to, to Carlito's wife. It just seems like a it, weird. It is going to probably sound odd—a more emotional film. It's, it seems like a, a weird. Well, it's certainly more film. emotional than Scarface. Yeah. No, it strikes me as like a, this weirdly autobiographical thing where you know basically Car- you know Al Pacino's playing a guy who's getting out of jail for like all these violent crimes and he's trying to reform he's trying to do the right thing and it turns out that everyone would prefer him just to be like this this, this foul violent person which is basically the same way that De Palma was probably perceiving himself at that point having tried to change his ways uh, with yeah. you know uh, Calcutta's War and Bonfire of the Vanities getting slammed for that and uh, having, being forced to go back to go with the blood money feel like you're reading into it and i feel like he doesn't that, really dig deep well, into that's that why, that's, why that's what they pay me the, the minor bucks for that's true <laughs> that's true uh mission mission impossible uh i'd say like femme fatale has a very good opening sequence and then the story is more more incoherent than it needs to be oh no no the langley sequence is even better that this movie i didn't i remember seeing it and not knowing what the fuck was going on right i've i've this is one of those but the, the action sequences were good and i think did someone just, get dropped off i heard a little yeah. Not me. Oh, Peter? Peter, he left. He said, I'm done oh, with you talking God. shit. Try to <laughs> get Peter back on. I'm going to continue talking about Mission Impossible. <laughs> um, uh, I think the Langley sequence Hello? is... Peter? Hello? Okay, yeah. you're back. Everybody here? There? All right, cool. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I was saying the, the Langley sequence where they're breaking into that is, again, I think that's probably among some of the best stuff he's done. Mm-hmm. And then I think everything else is whatever. It's a mainstream movie. He he was it was him, you know, getting some more clout uh, after, you know, uh, yeah. I guess Carly was Carlito's way a hit critically Carly, or commercially. It was sort of like middling. I mean, it wasn't. A, it was. It didn't tank, but it wasn't like the huge hit that people were expecting it to be. You know, coming off of like you know the, the you know the, the whole cult thing had gone off on Scarface by that point. So, but it, it was it wasn't a flop, but it wasn't like a huge hit. So that was definitely him. Doing something they knew would be a big hit because you know to, to sort of like you know restore his 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 weight and I think it's a, it's a, it's a time when I first saw it, I thought it was a pretty good movie like you know like the Langley scene is really good you, know, you said it was really good and then like you know the the, the whole finale at, even though it's the most implausible thing ever you know it, it's kind of entertaining but I watched it again a few years later and it actually holds up a lot better than I remembered because everyone's talking about like how confusing this, the story was when it first came out mm-hmm. but when you watch it now it it plays beautifully. Weird, you know, in a weird. Yeah, weird I would way. agree with that. The story is actually better than I think people remember, and it, the sequences are pretty good. It's a solid film. It's by far the best in this series, which is probably one of the oh. more disappointing. Yeah, <laughs> well, Brad, because Brad Bird, awesome. I have my fingers <laughs> crossed for Brad Bird because I, after yeah. I after I saw The Incredibles, I thought, why can't more action sequences be like that? Yeah. So, and apparently because of Tom Cruise's stock falling so much, they're actually returning to the idea that there's a team, you know? Yeah. yeah. That's good. Yep. So, mm-hmm. the new Mission Impossible should be interesting. Snake Eyes, brilliant opening sequence. I yep. like, not brilliant, because uh, brilliant implies that, like, it was, how did you think of it? Brilliant, it's more like brilliantly achieved. Yeah, this is than a cool tracking shot. <laughs> brilliantly. I mean, yeah. I'm, not, I'm, I'm a guy who loves care. cool tracking shots. I didn't care how the story played out no. so much. Um, Nick... Before before uh, Bad Lieutenant, this is Nicolas Cage being Bad Lieutenant. Um, 
it, though they kind of do a little he does a little bullshit turn at the end where he's like oh I gotta do the right thing despite the fact that it'll and cost he, me and, he, and, he, and like Carlito he winds up paying for it well except Carlito wanted that from the beginning and then Nicolas Cage <laughs> wants it because the script tells him to <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, no, the thing I, I like a lot the, the problem though is that you were complaining about Raising Kane not having a, a first act the problem with, with uh, Snake Eyes is it doesn't really have a finale because they they had shot like this big because all the way through the movie you're hearing about this hurricane that's coming in yeah mm. and they filmed a the, 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 they had it filmed like a whole final sequence where involving like the hurricane like hitting and you know and and I guess that was you know going on while he was confronting Gary Sinise and all that and then I guess it didn't test well so they basically cut out all the hurricane stuff at the end so that that you know so the movie doesn't really have any you know yeah. it just kind of like. I remember being very you know, just kind of like ends. It doesn't really have like any sort of like you no know, fit conclusion. So that's like the one problem. But other than that, I like it a lot. Yeah, Matt. I'm not a big fan. I mean, probably the nicest thing I could say about it is at least it's not eight millimeters. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, and I think it's probably helped a lot by the fact that eight millimeter came out after it and showed you how bad of a Nicolas Cage movie you could actually make. Um, and I'm a Nicolas Cage fan and I I actually like the cast a lot it's just it's a movie I just felt it felt fairly lifeless out of that opening scene I didn't really give a shit and and like this is like for me this is kind of what happens with pretty much all of De Palma's films pretty much at this you know from Bonfire of the Vanities on they're just really lifeless they feel like he's desperately trying to be a mainstream hit maker and it just it's Anything he tries to inject of himself in there just seems forced and out of place, and and uh, and even to a degree out of touch. And it's his. I mean, at this point, I find his filmmaking career pretty much sad more than anything, more than me getting pissed off at him. Yeah, I mean, at this, it's hard to kick a guy who uh, made Black Dahlia. You know, he he's kicking himself. <laughs> but uh, well, I would really like to hear. Uh, Peter's, I'm sorry, do you have something to say about Snake Eyes? No. Okay. That's good. Sorry. You got something to no, say, no. asshole? No. <laughs> um, uh, Peter, I'd love to hear you, like, what good things are in Mission to Mars. I saw it when I was a kid, and, like, I saw it, you know that era when you're a kid and you don't know that there are bad movies yet? Because you just haven't seen enough? <laughs> like, I never had that problem when I was a little kid myself. Oh, no? Like, for the, yeah, it took, I, this was the first bad movie I ever saw where I saw it, and I'm like, oh, that was shitty, and I was like, I was like ten, and I didn't understand. I didn't. Yeah. Know, I didn't know how to cope with the feelings. I was too used to being like Jurassic Park two. Yeah, I didn't like this, and I didn't like Red Planet. So uh, tell me, <laughs> tell me about Mission. To, tell me about Mission to Mars, Peter. See, the problem. The problem with Mission to Mars is the fact that it's a movie by the one of the most cynical filmmakers, you know, you know, of our time. Trying to make something that's like you know open and 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 cheerful and optimistic, and, you know, and literally it was a Disney movie. Um, and he's trying to do that, and the fit does not really quite work. Except that there's that one middle, you know, the, the one middle sequence that starts with the, the meteor shower and ends with with Kim Robbins making his final farewell. Um, and that 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 about twenty twenty five minutes, and that sequence is so good and so well made that for me it pretty it almost justifies the rest of the movie. So. Definitely one of the weaker weaker links in his hand, but that's but that sequence I think is amazing. Matt, I I don't even know how to follow that up. <laughs> what I say it's not very good except for the one scene. <sighs> uh, uh, you see, 
Except that seems to be like a repeating defense of almost all of his films. That, oh, it had this great opening scene, so that totally makes the movie, and that means it's okay. And, no, and, I'm, I'm, and that's my, I'm, I'm justifying the other ones. I think in this one, it's literally the one scene, and then nothing else. <laughs> well, I don't even think there's a scene in here that's worth watching. It's not a good movie. I mean, I I probably saw it ten years ago, and it was bad. It was so yeah. boring. Yeah, and, and just I, uh, it's just bad. Like it's supposed to be a it's some sort of thriller. Yet at no point did I feel like there was. I, it's not even that I thought there was something that was going to happen. It's that I didn't really give a shit what was coming next, and that's that's terrible when you're making a movie like this. That, <laughs> I mean, there was no one to be. There was. I didn't care who died. I didn't care who lived. I. I just wanted the credits to hit, and <laughs> so I could shut it off. Now, uh, <laughs> I, I have to admit, I don't think it's a good movie at all. I like Black Dahlia. Um, oh God! I know, I know. Uh, I'm as surprised <laughs> as you. Didn't like it? I'm, I'm stunned. I, I watched. No, I watched it. Um, I watched. I rewatched it, thinking I think I kind of liked this when it was in theaters, but I'm pretty sure I was dumb then. And I watched it. And it's, it's, and I'm, I mean, yeah, I might be dumb now. Who knows? But um, the uh, the thing that I really like about it, and again, not, I don't think it's a good movie. I'm just saying I liked it. Um, it's one of the only sort of modern noirs or whatever neo noir, whatever you want to call it, that feels like a noir without feeling like it's like super imitating of one. Like it's, it doesn't feel. Like, uh, like, like a noir that knows it's a noir. Yeah, no, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't feel super self conscious. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, basically, you know, for me, it feels which like, is like, kind like of a, a remarkable noir, like what a noir movie would have been at, from that time. Only if it had like today's level of like sex and violence and and and, and absolutely. But other than that, and, know, the, the same thing. And and to the point where, to like, um, like it's kind of astounding that Brian De Palma would make a movie that doesn't feel self-referential, let alone a noir that doesn't feel self-referential, but it doesn't. And I think it actually, I think Josh Hartnett's actually good in it. Um, I like You are out of your mind. (laughs) (laughs) I would agree. I like I'm not a fan of him in this movie at all. I like it. I like him. Um, I, I like the sort of the tone of it before... The Black Dahlia happens where it feels like LA Conf- like a, another chapter of LA Confidential. Um, not obviously not as good. Um, and it's I mean it's of course it's incoherent, but I like it. I, I enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm I'm doing the gym defense here where I'm saying eh, it's shitty, but I like it, and I can't tell you why, but it's true. <laughs> no, I mean it's true. <laughs> I mean that's, that's that was my review of Femme Fatale. Yeah, you exactly. know so. <laughs> I can't shit in my mouth for that. No, no, I understand. I understand when you're coming from sometimes, Jim. Uh, this is one of those movies where uh, I'm probably not going to watch it anytime soon again. But uh, like in about five, it's because you don't want to find out how wrong you are. I would love to find out how wrong. I I would like that's the reason I watch Aliens again and again because I hate Aliens and I keep wanting to find out that I'm wrong about that. Like I I no, like. That's- that's why I keep watching. I would agree. Aliens is a bad movie. Yeah, I keep watching movies again and again. I like. To find out I'm wrong, because that means that I'm progressing and evolving in my taste <laughs> mm-hmm. or some way, you know. But anyway, uh, his, his last movie was redacted, which I guess was a bunch of YouTube like clips or was made to look like YouTube. No, clips. It, was made, it was made. It was made. It was. It was. It was basically it's like casualties of war, only done in Iraq, and it was made to look like um, footage taken from uh, like like uh, YouTube postings, uh, security cameras, and like one of the 
characters. It's like thinks he's a, a budding filmmaker who so is carrying a camera around everywhere. Uh, but basically, it's the same story as, as Casualties of War, where yeah. uh, one of the uh, it's a, a group in Iraq, and one of their men is killed by a roadside bomb. So, in retribution, they invade a uh, house of some locals one night, and they rape and kill a young girl and kill her family. And of course, the, the, the guy's filming it all. And what? Then, you know, yeah, <laughs> who, who let that it, happen? Yeah, because, why would you because, let the guy, the guy get think he's going to get him into film school somehow when he gets out of the car? <laughs> <laughs> Just like that other famous filmmaker, guy filming uh, filming the Rodney King beating. Like, I don't know. Yeah, well, I, think they even, I think they even referenced that at one point. I think they even mentioned that by explicit one point. Oh, that sounds real dumb, I'm going to yeah. say. It's not it, very good. I, I'm And I, I really like one of – I mean, Peter knows um, one of my friends, and uh, he's a you know, film critic, uh, Nick DiGilio. He put, he put Diary of the Dead and uh, Redacted – in, in his top fifteen, the year those came out, and he both he, those he, movies. Oh, I did. I didn't see Redacted, but Pirate of the Dead's bad. Well, I don't think it's very good, but I think like the, their intentions of like trying to comment on how oversaturated we are with YouTube and you know the cameras everywhere and that that sort of Big Brother element and the internet sort of sloppy but still and how, interesting and basically, basically look, what's it, it goes back to like what depalm has been doing one of the things he's been doing all through his his work in examining technology and how these things are supposed to be bringing people together are in fact you know you know making you know bringing krm park making them making things worse in the long run i mean that's something he's done yeah. all through his career yeah and it just goes you know more so in this one and i think it's inter- in that regard i think it's a really interesting film and I think it's a far more interesting film than Casualties of War. It's in an interesting, it's an interesting film, but I, I, I just didn't, I couldn't get behind the execution of, of, of how he did it, and I, I wasn't really invested in the story in the way I was with Casualties of War. All right, um, that about wraps it up. I mean, is there any final closing statements? Either of you want to talk about the Dancing in the Dark video? <laughs> <laughs> Want well, to take off the Courtney Cox mask and it's mask and it's Greg Henry? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, you say Brian De Palma's not good at working with actors, but did you see that little dance Clarence Clemens does when he's clapping his hands? It's wonderful. Um, well, I, I, I want to say that um, I, I'm I'm glad that uh, um, Matt had reviewed Sisters on on his uh, on his podcast where the long tail ends because. That pretty much, I said I have to talk to this guy <laughs> about about De Palma. Um, I, I I can I can definitely say that he's made more bad movies than good, especially after because you know my initial reaction to listening to your sister's review is like, no, you're wrong. He's a good filmmaker, um, and he's I, I can look at his filmography and say, yeah, he's made some really shitty movies, um, but, but at the same time, like I I hold blow blowout in such high regard. Uh, body doubles a lot of fun. Phantom of the Paradise rules. I don't know. It's like I I think I'm more drawn to him visually, and you know we, we when we when we talked about Sam Raimi at length and how I'm just sort of in awe of his approach to filmmaking, even if the acting is bad or the story is sloppy. I, those 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 elements I'm I'm willing to forgive because I'm I'm in, I like where he takes me visually, um, but I I will say that like for the most part. In a lot of his movies, all the elements don't come together, and I'm willing to be okay with that. <laughs> so, but no, I'm again, Matt. I'm glad that you had reviewed Sisters because it was really, uh, yeah, that was, that's one of those times I was sort of yelling at the uh, 
at my iPod, but it was fun. <laughs> well, that is, that is what we aim for with every podcast, for yeah. our audience to yell at us. And it works. And yeah. Peter, I'm glad to have you on. Uh, I wish I could have understood better what you like about Femme Fatale. It's still baffling me, but uh, um, I'm glad that you were able to defend him and defend him, uh, you know, in a... Over and over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we, we, we've been doing this and we've been trying to uh, maintain this for every episode, and I know this will be a challenge for Matt, but let's give our top three favorite De Palma movies. All right. Uh, Peter, let's start with you. Yeah. Uh, Blowout. Uh, Femme Fatale, and then probably Family Paradise. All right, not, not bad. Uh, Matt, um, I would say it's probably uh, Carrie, Raising Kane, and Mission Impossible. Cool. All right, Jim, uh, Blowout, Carrie, Phantom of the Paradise. All right, I would say uh, Carrie, Blowout, and then um, uh, probably Body Double. Cool. So yeah, it was great having you on this. Probably the most fun I've ever had recording an episode. <laughs> I know there were times where I was just like, I want to listen to this. Yeah, <laughs> just, just play out. Oh, it was so good. I'm, so I'm, glad. I'm, I'm but Matt, both I'm, of you are, we want to have back on definitely. And Matt, I want maybe even to. maybe I, even I, together. <laughs> well, yeah, that that'll work. But I was I, I want to definitely have Matt on to talk about a filmmaker he likes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We don't want to imply that Matt only hates movies. Just no. In fact. I would like to suggest, if people do like De Palma, um, one of my favorites that's probably really unknown is Richard Franklin. He's an Australian filmmaker. He's fucking outstanding. Mm. I absolutely adore his films. Um, probably what he's best known for in the U.S. is Cloak and Dagger and FX2. Oh, Cloak and Dagger. Oh, road, he, did road, he did Road Games. He did Road Games, Road Games is great. Patrick is by far his best film, which is brilliant. I think both um, I'm Road... a big fan of Link, which is a totally ridiculous off-the-wall film. Um, <laughs> Elizabeth Shue and the Killer Monkey? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. they talk about it, that it, on the he, Doug Benson. He, he is uh, a ridiculously talented filmmaker. It's a shame that he you know he died very fairly young from cancer. <clears throat> uh, never really well-known in the U.S., but... I, I adore his films. He's great. Um, there's plenty of other guys, especially a lot of Australian filmmakers, have a lot of Hitchcock influences and are definitely style over substance. George Miller, Russell Mulcahy, there's a ton out there. Yeah, George uh, Miller's great. I mean, any of the Italian genre filmmakers for the Giallos w- would be great if you're a De Palma fan. Um, I, I'd say I mentioned Anakin. Previous, I mean, uh, previous person we've covered, look, Pedro Almodovar, another big Hitchcock person. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and like, I think my biggest frustration with De Palma is he's a director I should like his influences and the and the and the filmmakers he likes I enjoy but for whatever the fucking reason he compl- whatever what he puts on screen just does not mesh with me I don't I don't connect with it and I and, I, and honestly as much as I get frustrated with him um, I I think it's it's more of a shame that I don't connect more with it because there's a ton of films out there that that he's attached to or or that other people that are very similar to him are great fucking films and and right. I wish you know I'm a genre film fan so I would love people to get you know dive balls deep into any sort of genre film right um and have a blast and if and if it's De Palma that kicks you off into others you know who I don't give a shit I'm that's great and I, and I don't want it to make I I've been trashing him all day um but yeah, I mean, if if you like De Palma, there's a ton of directors out there, and I really think you should give other, you know any sorts of others a chance. Oh, well, definitely. I mean, 
Tarantino, he, he, he regards Blowout as his third favorite movie of all time. And I, I could see that influence, you know, sort of, you know, branching out. Like, just, just sort of the, some of the choices he makes in that movie. Not just from, from Hitchcock, but that movie obviously had an influence on so many filmmakers mm-hmm. in the future. Well, yeah, and I, I think that's one of the great things about filmmaking is that in an even clearer way than, say, music. Because there's so much music and it, music is more less, in, less tangible mm-hmm. than something like filmmaking. You can see progression. I mean, I got yeah. to Robert Altman because... Uh, I really liked Boogie Nights, and someone was like, "Oh, that's just a Robert Altman ripoff." And now Robert Altman's one of my favorite, you know, directors. And then, and then uh, I began reading that Robert Altman was really influenced uh, by oh, shit, Rules of the Game. Uh, Renoir. Yeah, Renoir. Renoir. So then I got so then I got Grand Illusion and saw Rules of the Game, and I was like, "Oh fuck, I love Renoir." So these things, you know, yeah, they allow you to branch out. Um, I think as long as you do that and don't just you know, say keep watching Wes Anderson movies or whatever. Uh, yeah, like no, I think I, mean, I think it, that's a good thing. It makes you want to watch other filmmakers, and that's 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 a wonderful sort right. of paid well, forward thing. It was great to have you on. Um, yeah, guys, just it was really you, great. Uh, we had we had a couple emails. Uh, the contest is still going, so email us um, with that uh, information. You can find all that on our website. I'll probably post the rules again with the with this uh, show's post. The rules of the game. Yeah, the rules of the game. Uh, you want to email us at directorsclubpodcast.com. No, directorsclubpodcast at gmail.com. And visit the website, directorsclubpodcast.com. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, my Twitter is at Patrick Rapol. And I'm an instant gym. Um, uh, guys, why don't you also uh, plug, yeah, plug your stuff? Plug your sites and your podcasts. Uh, Matt, go um, first. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, I'm. My primary website is wherethelongtailends.com, um, and our we have two main podcasts there, High and Lowbrow, and Spoiler Alert that I do with uh, my good friend Jen, James Gillum. I'm also a regular over on the Road 3 Cinecast, uh, which is quite famous. If you think uh, the, the Director's Club podcast is long, then you ain't seen nothing yet with us. Right. <laughs> uh, we routinely talk four hours, <laughs> uh, and uh, I have a blast doing that. Um, it's a great Close show. Close every week. And then I also am a regular over at the Movie Club podcast, which is movieclub.blogspot.com, which is another uh, podcast where we rotate through a bunch of different people uh, doing like a roundtable on different films. And that's pretty much it. Great. Peter, okay. you just read um, you, just... you can read my stuff at efilmcritic.com. Yes. And, what, you know, this is my first podcasting of any type, but I can be heard on Friday mornings on the Man Cow's Morning Madhouse radio program. Wow, that's good. That's cool. <laughs> um, is is he still bro- – where is he broadcasting out of these days? Uh, he's syndicated throughout the country. just doesn't okay. have, like, a, a Chicago outlet, which is, right. you know, for me, the best of both worlds, quite frankly. I think you can get him on the, this, this Internet thing as well. You can hear him there as well. Great, great. All right, well, thanks again, guys. It was great having you on, and uh, hopefully we'll both have you back again soon. So, Okay. Thanks a lot. Yeah, it'd be awesome. Thanks. Okay, this is 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 what it sounded like. Wah. (laughs) That's it. It sounded like a guy saying wah. Where's the cat, Jim? The cat, Jim, where's the cat? Jim, where's the cat? Hitchcock had seen Dress to Kill. And what did he say? He was fucking pissed. <laughs> <laughs>